Welcome, everybody, to the first episode of Bills Chat, a pro football podcast. I am Josh, and with me tonight is Luca, and this is the introductory episode of Bills Chat. And we're going to get into all things Buffalo Bills and NFL tonight. We're going to talk about free agency. We're going to talk about hot news and rumors. We're going to look back on the drought and have a fun conversation about some of the high moments of the drought. But before we get into all of that, Luca, I think it's important, since this is our first episode, just to let people know a little bit about us. Why do we want them to listen to us? Why might we have an interesting perspective on Buffalo Bills football as well as the rest of the NFL? So Bills Chat, it's a it's a podcast name that you actually came up with. It has a very specific reasoning for it. Do you want to explain the logic behind Bills Chat? Yeah, uh, Josh. Yeah, um, this is fun. This is honestly, I just want to start with saying this is great. I cannot wait for what this entails. But yeah, Bills Chat. It's a name that obviously you and I and few others have shared in a Discord server for years now and just got our thoughts out and just discussed everything around Buffalo football, the NFL in general, in relation to the Bills. And I feel like we now have gotten to a point where through discussion and time, we just wanted to graduate and we wanted to turn this into possibly a fun hobby that is this podcast. And I look forward to everything we will do going forward and discuss and cannot wait for what it entails. And you said it right. We are two fans, two Bills fans. We spend way too much time on the internet looking at things on Bills Twitter, looking at different articles by the Bills content creators out there. And we spend way too much time on those Discord servers that you mentioned, just dis- discussing all things Buffalo Bills and NFL, getting instant reaction from each other. And we did want to turn this into a podcast. And the thing I like most about this Bills chat dynamic that you and I have is we are both big fans of the Bills and big fans fans of the NFL, but we are coming at it from two vastly different points of view. For me, I don't even live in Buffalo. I have been to one game in Buffalo. I've been to games in Kansas City, been to games in Tennessee, Indianapolis. Um, I feel like I'm Cincinnati and Cleveland, but I live in the Midwest. I live just outside of St. Louis, but I am a diehard Bills fan. And for my background, um, I grew up, I, I started watching the Bills in the late 90s, um, really as far as hardcore. I watched them on TV when I was younger, but I started watching them in the late 90s. My parents got NFL Sunday ticket when I was in high school in the 1998 season. And Luca, the first Bills game I watched on NFL Sunday ticket, the Buffalo Bills went out there and lost to rookie quarterback Ryan Leaf and the San Diego Chargers week one of the NFL season. That was my introduction to NFL Sunday ticket. I had a little bit of regret at that point. Um, But yeah, so I am the perfect new age fan where I don't live in Buffalo. I feel like I consume enough Buffalo content through listening to Buffalo Rumblings podcast, listening to WGR, listening to guys like Matt Perino and Joe Biscaglia on their podcast talk about Buffalo. But my perspective is very much a, I have to seek out the content because I don't just get into my car and turn on the radio and hear about the bills. I very much have to go on to Buffalo, the Buffalo news website, go on to WGR, things like that, follow bills, Twitter, but I am a diehard fan. I, I live and die with this team. Their, their results shape my mood more than I am proud to admit. And that is not your backstory at all. You are not an out of market fan. You want to tell your backstory a little bit? 
Yeah, no, absolutely. Uh, it's, it is interesting just cause, you know, as we have known over the years now, I am born and raised Buffalo, uh, born, uh, raid in Cheektowaga, uh, lived in Lockport for a little bit up in the North area. Um, moved around a touch, uh, grew up in my later teen years in Williamsville. Uh, and yet somehow, some way found myself, the bills were a one B to me. Uh, they were not my one a, now, I went to games all the time. My parents were season ticket holders right on the 35 of the Bills side, you know, Bills sideline. Um, th- it just, they weren't my team. Uh, the Cardinals. I, I, I grew up a Cardinals fan. I remember as a little kid being fascinated with the likes of Jake the Snake Plumber. And, you know, I, it, it also stems from my ASU fandom as a little kid. Um, so Pat Tillman, when he was, you know, yeah. late 90s, it, it was just the team for me. And I always supported the bills. You know, as I mentioned, my, my parents were season ticket holders. My first ever game I went to as a child actually wasn't until funny enough, 2001, but I remember it as yesterday because it was actually Rob Johnson versus Mark Brunel. Uh, it was bills at Jags, not in Buffalo. It was in Jacksonville. That was my first ever bills game. My first bills home game, however, was actually later that year against the Panthers. And I find it funny. I never thought of it as a kid that year. I don't know, Josh, do you know how the bills did in 2001? Can you, can you I do? Guess? I do. Um, this is where me being a fanatic is. I have tons of useless knowledge in my head. The bills went three and 13 that year and That's got right. the number three pick. That's right. And somehow, some way I found my way to two of those three wins. <clears throat> and those were the only two games I went to that year. That's amazing. So and, you- yeah, you found yourself as a good luck charm. Exactly. Um, and as I've grown up and gone to sporting events, that good luck charm when it comes to bills. And then obviously I mentioned I'm a Buffalo fan. So Sabres bleed into there. Um, I've always been that good luck charm and it always felt that way. And the bills were my one B team. Um, but I was, I, I'm a Cardinals fan now get with all that said, current events and the current state of the Cardinals have me a little torn. And, and as we've discussed in that discord channel, um, you know, I'm, I'm, we can talk bills all day long. We, mm-hmm. we can do things about the bills. We can talk about offensive line depth, you know, we'll, and we'll do that here in this podcast. And it seems like that fire is burning more than that Cardinals fandom. It's, it's dang close to switching. I'll be honest. I think my Cardinals fandom has found its way linked to Larry Fitzgerald's career and somehow some way with him gone. I just don't care anymore. I love them. I loved them when I was a kid and I would still love them through. But we might be finding ourselves in a place where the bills have become my one a at this rate and Cardinals are my one B. I I still love them to death and always will, as I just said, but man, I'm pretty sure it's directly linked to Larry Fitzgerald because this past year, even with the success and all of a sudden falling on their face in the playoffs, it didn't hurt nearly as much as it did uh, when that Bills game in 13 seconds happened. Oof. So it, it, it was a realization that I think my fandom is slowly shifted. And uh, we can go into that further at another time. We can. And I will say, um, just, just to back Luca up a little bit, 
because um, I know there is a certain segment of fans out there that they roll their eyes when they hear things like 1A and 1B team, right? Like you, we all have those friends or people we know that are like, well, I'm all, I'm a Cowboys fan, but I'm also a Packers fan and I root for the Chiefs and I also kind of like the Raiders. And if the Steelers are, it's like, okay, whatever. You don't really like a team. You just like whatever team's winning that year. Let me tell you a little something about Luca and our Bills chat. Our Bills chat is not just each other. We have a group of Bills friends we're in it with. When he says 1B, I can promise you his 1B is stronger than most Bills fans 1A. When it comes time for preseason talk, training camp, and we're talking about training camp battles that Bills fans like us and other Bills fans out there nerd out on of like who's going to be the swing tackle? What sixth round pick is going to make the team? What do you think the practice squad is going to look like? Luca is right in there with me. You are engaged in that conversation. And I've noticed over our time in Bill's chat, the Discord version of it, you turning more into a Bill's fan. And I could see it happening. And I think that's just part of life, right? Like as you get older, your friendship circle always just kind of shrinks. You're not going to school and college every day where you're surrounded by 30 people of your own age every time you walk into a classroom. You're at work, you're adulting. A lot of times you're working from home and your circle shrinks. And what that Bill's chat has done for you has has given you an outlet to talk with close friends about a topic you care about. And when you have that daily outlet to talk about the Bills and what's going on, it just strengthens your bond with the team. I don't know what your Cardinals chat, Cardinal friendship, Cardinal circle looks like outside of maybe Cardinals Reddit, Cardinals Twitter, things like that. But I think it's only natural that the Bills would would creep up on them. And I've seen that happen. I watched firsthand when the Cardinals lost in the playoff game. You were mad. You were annoyed. You were like any other fan. You were hated to see your team fall on their face like that. But you, like me, after 13 seconds, we even said to each other, I'm not ready to talk about this yet. Monday came around. Still not ready. Tuesday. Okay. I'm kind of getting ready. Like then we kind of just need to get it out and we vented. And it was just like, it was you guys that are listening out there can probably relate to this. You just start talking about something about the game and you're like, okay, I'm starting to get over it. And then, Oh, here's something else that bothered me. And we're going to get into all that. We're going to actually talk about on this show tonight, whether the 2021 season was a success or not. Cause I think that is a controversial topic based on how they did in 2020 and what the expectations were coming into this season. We are also going to get into free agency. And then I did mention that we have a game we're going to play later. So if you stick around long enough, one thing that bonds bills fans is that 17 year playoff drought. We're going to play a game tonight where we draft each of us, a team of the, the biggest Bills wins of the drought. We're each going to get three draft picks. We're going to see which one has the better team stacked up. But you heard a bit about Luca's backstory. You heard about mine with the uh, Sunday ticket. Luca, do you remember the first time the Bills broke your heart as a Bills fan? Uh, being that the age I am at, uh, it's pretty dang easy. It's uh, it's that wonderful Music City miracle we always love to come back to. Um but yeah, I mean, I can even go back to the exact point in time where I was watching that moment transpire, you know, as at the time I was a not even eight year old child. I was still, you know, on the back end of my seventh year of life, um, sitting directly in front of this large, deep back projection HD TV when that field goal went through and you feel great and everything's phenomenal and that ensuing kickoff occurs, you know, my mother was doing laundry. I I don't honestly, I cannot tell you why I remember that, Mm -hmm. but I remember seeing my mother stopping with a basket of laundry in her arm to watch that kickoff. 
And I turned my head back around to watch that moment. And just, there were things said in my household that I cannot repeat on air right now. Uh, but it will forever be ingrained in this brain uh, just because not only in the house, but outside the house, among all my other social social circles, that it, it just, the pain, it, it was unbelievable pain. And just at that time, you know, you, you, it was almost like something bad was always going to happen to Buffalo <laughs> sports. And obviously in that time frame, other bad things in Buffalo sports were happening. So it just felt like, how could that possibly happen? But then in this area, it was like, of course, of course that happened. Why? Why in the world wouldn't that happen? The universe would never let that. And he's a child. I even understood that concept as a child. And uh, yeah, I mean, obviously from years on, it just, everything stacked. So, uh, you know, I'd be very curious to know when you had your first taste of heartbreak, because honestly, I don't think we've ever talked about that too much. So I will tell you, so Luca and I are, I'm a little bit older than him. Um, so I start my first bills game that I remember watching was the division championship or the division round game between the bills and the dolphins on the way to their first super bowl where they lost to the giants. I was eight years old watching the game with my dad. My dad is a classic front runner, right? Like, so if the bills were good that year, the bills were his team. If the dolphins were good that year, the dolphins were his team. Classic front runner. We're watching that game and I'm eight years old watching it with my dad. And he goes, okay, Josh, whoever wins this game is our team. I took that to heart. And I was like, sweet, that sounds good enough to me. And my only exposure to football at that point in my life was playing the Tecmo Bowl, Tecmo Super Bowl games on a Nintendo Entertainment System, the old 8-bit game. And the Bills were legit in that game, by the way, with Thurman Thomas, Jim Kelly, Andre Reid. You guys all know the names. But watch that game. The Bills win. I took it to heart. Like, yes, this is our team. And my dad always rooted for him through the years. It got a lot stronger as I got older and more into them and he saw me staying with them. And then he became kind of a diehard with me, I think because of me, but I will say Luca, like none of the Super Bowls broke my heart because I was just too young to really grasp what was going on. Like I watched the giants bill Super Bowl, the field goal went wide. Right. And at the time I was like, oh, that stinks. The team I wanted to win lost, but you know, to me it was just another game. Like I knew it was the championship game, but I was playing tech mobile where you, you know, getting to the Super Bowl wasn't a big deal. And that was my concept of what it was. I was like, oh, they'll be back. And, you know, they did get back. And then they just kept getting smashed and smashed. The Cowboys Super Bowl, the first one did kind of hurt because, you know, it was one of those things where all the friend, all my friends in school, because growing up in St. Louis in the early 90s, we didn't have a team. Your Cardinals hadn't had left already for um, Phoenix at that time. They left in 87, I believe. And then the Rams didn't come to St. Louis from LA until 95. So there was a gap right in my big football viewing timeline where it was just whatever teams were on TV were cool and the Bills were always on TV. So that one kind of hurt. But, you know, it's kind of like you never know how bad your vision is until you put on glasses for the first time and you're like, oh man, my eyes were really bad. You don't really know heartbreak until you really experience heartbreak. And I'll tell you, I think we're right in lockstep the music city miracle. And I think part of it is because, you know, when you're only watching a couple, three, four games a year, because that's all that's available to you in your TV market. And then you watch the playoff games, you're emotionally attached, but the internet wasn't what it is now. So it's, it's hard to really follow the ins and outs of the team. It wasn't until that 98 season um, where I really was able to watch every single game. 
And then I really, and that was the year that ended with them losing in the first round to Miami where Flutie got sacked going in for the touchdown at the end to lose it. That game stunk, but it wasn't like heartache. That Music City Miracle, man, I'm right there with you. I can just picture myself in high school. I had to go work a shift. I was working at a gas station at the time. I had to go work a shift as soon as the game ended. And I remember watching that return happen thinking, laughing while it happened because in live real time, I'm watching it with a buddy of mine and he, and he's not a Bills fan, but he's one of those guys. Like if, if you're rooting for a team, he's going to root with you. Just, you know, like, I don't know, guy code, fan code, whatever you want to call it. If he didn't have a rooting interest, he'll root for your team. Yeah. I mean, you could basically chalk my entire fan group up as why they are interested in the Cardinals over all our yeah. youth. So it's a, it's a courtesy. And he, he basically yelled out, that's a forward pass right off the bat. And I thought for sure it was a forward pass. So I'm just sitting there and they, they get the touchdown, right? Dyson scores, the camera pans to Wade Phillips and Wade Phillips has the same reaction I do, where he's just kind of like, cool guys. Like you just totally just broke the rules. This isn't going to stand. And they were going through the replays and every replay looks like a forward pass. And I will never forget Luca. There was one replay. Joe Theismann, like I never, I never thought Joe Theismann was that good of a color commentator, but he was the only one saying, guys, I think this is a lateral. I think this is a lateral. And Paul McGuire is like, this is not a lateral. And then there was one replay where Theismann's like, no, look where Whitecheck's arm is and look where Dyson catches the ball. And you see that replay and then you realize, oh my God, they're not going to overturn this. And I had to go to work right after that. And I was sick and I don't think I got over it for weeks. Um, so yeah, that was my, I think we're right in lockstep. You know, I was a little bit older, but just you having the ability to watch more Bills games when you were younger than I did probably contributed to you having the ability to have your heart broken. Um, so now that we know we've gotten out there who we are, what our background is, let's talk about these Buffalo Bills that we just saw take the field in 2021. Because Luca, (laughs) this was the team that had the Josh Allen coming off of finishing second in the MVP race in 2020. They were coming off of the AFC championship game. They went out and drafted two defensive linemen to get after Patrick Mahomes because they saw how he was getting chased around by Tampa Bay in the Super Bowl. All offseason, it was, we are going to build our team to beat the Chiefs. 2021 had its highs, had its lows. Ultimately, we all know how it ended. The Bills lost in the second round to the Kansas City Chiefs. Was 2021 a successful season for the Buffalo Bills? What do you think? So I love addressing this as a success or not. And the reason I say that is because if you and I were talking, which we were, of course, going into this year and saying, what is the benchmark for success failure? I think you can agree that both of us would say getting over the hump of the Chiefs. It ne- we would have thought that would be in the AFC championship game, which obviously it did not happen then, but that was our benchmark. I mean, would you not agree? hundred percent. And so I look at it as that was the game. That was it. That was pass fail. If you were to put just one criteria on a success or failure for the season, that was it. And obviously we all know 13 seconds happened and unfortunately we failed. And in that regard, I would say, no, this was not a successful season. But now I'm going to step back and just address the fact that you look at this past year and you look at everything 
that had happened throughout the season. And when you really take the entire season, everything that it came with, both in the regular season and postseason, because just before that, in the postseason, we obviously witnessed one of the greatest outings by any quarterback ever in the playoffs. And in that game against Kansas City, it was yet another one of those performances. It just didn't finish with the win like the one the previous week did. And and you take those kinds of moments. And then the last time that Allen was up against New England and that team was up against New England in New England, a game that both you and I were, I may have been a little more confident than you, I think, uh, going into that week. I think that is safe to say just because I seem to have that confidence going into those style games and you know yourself and other others in the friend group may not have been so confident i you know i don't want to speak for you because i can't remember uh quite as clearly but you know no, you, no you're 100 right i'm the guy that before we're playing washington and we're a 10 point favorite i'm like i don't know luca they got a pretty good d line and this taylor heineke could get hot and you're like dude <laughs> they're not going to lose to washington J- just relax you're not losing to taylor heineke so you can yeah, get I'm- that idea out of your head so I'm that yeah. classic fan that as the week goes on, I can talk myself into the Bills losing to anybody. So anyway, go ahead. exactly. So, you know, with going back to it, you know, you have that New England game week 16. You have the New England game back at home in the playoffs. You know, those kinds of games really just showed you the New Orleans game, the Thanksgiving Day game. I mean, it obviously gets overshadowed by the unfortunate injury of Trey White. And honestly, what could have been, of course, if that moment doesn't happen? But that game was dominant. I mean, we were dominant. And then you have Josh Allen against New England, those two different games, you know, take that windy atrocity of a Monday night game out of the equation. So the other two, I mean, Josh Allen was the best quarterback possibly of the past five years. I mean, it it was just unbelievable. It was beyond even the Cam Newton MVP year like performance. I I really genuinely felt that. I mean, I know I saw multiple analysts talking about how they had the perfect defense here. It's third and long. And somehow Josh Allen would find Emmanuel Sanders just wide open over the middle. Mm -hmm. It it just made no sense. It it just, you watch that. It made no sense. And yet it's Josh Allen. It's JP 17. It is JP Allen going to work and putting in an absolute masterclass of a performance so when you look at the entire season and those kinds of moments in the kansas city game earlier in the year you know i mean our heads after that kansas city game josh i know we were like this is it i remember those conversations we Uh were like this is it and even the following week losing monday night at tennessee on a slip we were still very confident this was it Right. Oh yeah, we were like, that's cute. Like, okay, they lost. They they should have won the game. They slipped. That's a fluke. They're still going to win their 13, 14 games. They're probably, they may have choked away the one seed tonight, but whatever, they can beat anybody. Exactly. So going with all of that in mind, yes, it is a success. Because why? They didn't take a significant step back, which is something you and I and the rest of Bills fans, I feel like previous to the Josh Allen era, you would have expected nothing less than a major step back, something uh, of serious proportions, just absolutely bringing down the year and just killing it. Right. You know, this, this would have total, it would have been classic Buffalo if we would have all of a sudden gone, you know, eight and nine and just, just where would we have gone from there? Right. 
and somehow, you know, when, when it was getting tough, that, that loss to Tampa Bay. And of course, everyone points to like, I, I can honestly tell you, you could feel it as well being in the stadium as I was that second half, you knew that this team was back to what we knew they were. And of course they, you know, went on to beat the Panthers, the Patriots, the Falcons and the Jets to close out the year. And then they go and beat the Patriots like they did in the playoffs. I mean, this team was elite and basically the best team in the league. It's, it's so hard. And I don't want to just throw that out there, but they were the best team in the league. It was incredible. So for me to have that feeling now, that's where I can say this is success. And I think you probably share the same sentiments. It's a tough question, man. Uh, that Tampa Bay game is interesting because I remember if you had told me they would lose an overtime to Tom Brady, and yet I would feel great about the game before the season started, I'd say, you are a liar. I need Tom Brady's head on a platter. I need to beat him in Tampa Bay. I finally got a good team to root for that can beat him. I felt so good after that game, Luke, and I know you did too, even though they lost because it was like, those were the bills we had been waiting for all year long. Converting fourth downs, Josh Allen finally broke out the running game, hitting deep bombs to uh, Gabriel Davis. Not, I guess I... That wasn't a deep bomb. That was a post over the middle. But then you had Josh Allen running for that long touchdown run. And it was like, these are the bills we have been waiting on all year long. The offense was clicking. And you could just feel like they lost the game. Yeah. Like at that point, we knew they weren't going to get the number one seed. Although as the season rolled on, number one seed came a little bit closer um, to being a reality than we thought maybe at the time. But it just felt like they found something that game. And that was a big moment for them. So where I struggle with this question on whether it was a success or a failure is, are you a fan of the show The Walking Dead? I honestly am not. I, I used to get into it in the beginning, but I just, I haven't watched it in years. Okay, so I, I won't get too into the weeds here on this, but when Walking Dead first started, the the whole thing was you were scared to death of the zombies walking around. Like they were the things that killed you and you did everything you could to avoid the zombies. Well, as the show went on two or three seasons into it, the zombies were almost kind of background noise, like extras in the scene. You didn't really, unless it was a fluke situation here and there where you just got caught in a bad situation or, you know, one snuck up on you, they really had figured out how to kill the zombies. And then it was more about, Oh, I have to worry about the governor. And then the governor, they got rid of him. And then it was Negan's guys. And then Negan were like, we're never going to see a bad guy worse than this. And then they got through Negan's team and then they found the whisperers and alpha and beta. And it just kept getting worse and worse and worse. And where am I going with this? You're probably wondering. Well, after the 2020 season, I felt like the Patriots were kind of like the zombies, like, okay, yes, they had just created two decades of misery for us, but we went to Gillette on Monday night football in 2020 and just destroyed them in their own stadium. And yes, Cam Newton, all that, I get it. But they were, we just had their head on the platter, Belichick slamming the phone on the sideline. When I started, when I went into 2021, I had so little thought about the Patriots and quite honestly about the AFC East in general. It was just, okay, what's it going to take to get the one seed? Is it, you know, Lamar Jackson, you have the Browns look good. The Steelers, big bins back for another year. Like, and it turns out the other team in the division I didn't even mention was the one to win it. And then it's, we know the Chiefs are going to be in the way. The Colts might still be pretty good. The Titans are there. Can we get the one seed? I'm, we should go five and one, six and oh in our division. Can we win enough games to get the one seed? I did not expect 
this season at all to have the Patriots be the big nemesis again that we overcome at the end. But here they were, Monday Night Football with the big win game. We all know the scenario that Sean McDermott, I think, waited a little bit too long to unleash his passing game. Some missed opportunities here and there. They lose the game, and it's like, oh my God, are we are we really behind the Patriots again? Is this really a thing? And then, you know, they go on and they beat the Patriots in Gillette to take control of the division. And then they trounce them in the first round of the playoffs. And that was such a cool moment for anybody who experienced the misery of the Patriots just beating us year over year over year. And it was such a cool moment. But I think where I get caught up is like, that wasn't to me, that that wasn't the the final scene. That wasn't supposed to be the final scene. Like, cool if that's like the the bad guy you get to before you get to the real bad guy. Like we talked about the America's Game documentaries, right? Like how cool is this going to be? And if the Bills win the Super Bowl and first round of the playoffs, they just embarrass Belichick. And then they go to Arrowhead and beat Mahomes and Reed. And then I think at that time we were thinking then they can play the Titans in the conference championship game and you know, avenge the Music City Miracle loss. And then the fact that Allen couldn't get a yard earlier in the year. And then Tom Brady's going to be waiting for him in the Super Bowl. And we had had that conversation about just the perfect scenario for the Bills to win it all. And then what ended up happening is they choked away the Kansas City game. And we'll get into that in a second. But it just, it, it just felt like, wait, no, 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 no. This isn't how that movie's supposed to end. We, we, we beat the chiefs. Like we destroyed them in arrowhead earlier in the year. And we, we had the lead with 13 seconds. This is our time. Like the AFC championship game is going to be in Buffalo. Like I know the Titans aren't going to be there, but it's going to be Joe Burrow. Like we can destroy the Bengals. They can't block anybody. And five minutes before the bills game kicked off against Kansas city, Tom Brady just got eliminated from the playoffs. Lamar Jackson didn't even make the tournament. Justin Herbert didn't make the tournament. We're talking about a home game in Buffalo to go to the Super Bowl against Joe Burrow, who is a second-year quarterback, and the Cincinnati Bengals, who can't block anybody. And then on the NFC side of things, you have Jimmy Garoppolo. And at that time, the Rams, who were a team that were up and down. This is it. This is our time. And then you choke it away. So is it a success or a failure? I think you said it very well. I think from the standpoint of they lost a round earlier. They, there's no way to sugarcoat this. They let a tremendous opportunity slip through. By the time that game kicked off in Kansas City, Tom Brady was out. Um, if they close out the 13 sec- seconds, Patrick Mahomes out. Lamar Jackson didn't make it. Colts, the team that beat us up pretty good in the regular season, didn't make it. There were no real scary beasts left in the playoffs. This was it. This was a tremendous opportunity. However, why I say this season was a success is because it's not about this one opportunity. It's not about 2021. This one's going to hurt for a while. Unfortunately, there's there's no way around it. This one's going to hurt until the Bills finally do hoist the Lombardi trophy. That's the only way this pain is going to go away because no matter what happens, when you think about what unfolded at the end of that Kansas City game and what it probably was going to mean for the Bills going forward, sure, they could have lost to the Bengals, I guess. They could have lost to the Rams, sure. But I think all of us feel pretty good about where they would have been had they made it to that Final Four. The fact that they let this opportunity slip by hurts, but this is where I would say is a success. What was 2020? Okay, Josh Allen's had one good... This is what the naysayers were saying. Josh Allen's had one good year. Can he do it again? 
this season was a fluke. All these players were opted out. Half these, like the Patriots didn't even have their real team. Okay. Destroyed them in the playoffs. Josh Allen can't do it again. He did it again. And then when the, when it really mattered, when the lights were the brightest in the playoffs, he put two coaches who were going to be in the hall of fame, Andy Reid and Bill Belichick in a body bag. And the bills to me are a team after this year, I feel very confident in saying they're going to be back every year in the playoffs. It's it's barring a situation where they have a bunch of injuries. There's obviously an injury to 17, knock on wood, not going to happen. There's just no scenario you can come up with realistically where this team with this quarterback, and I will say this coaching staff, despite the way they gaffed away that 13 seconds, should not be in contention for the rest of his career in Buffalo, does that mean they're going to make the playoffs every year that he's here? Probably not. The odds are just against that, the way the NFL works. There will be something that happens some season along the way. But they're on a very similar path that I think the Green Bay Packers are on with Aaron Rodgers and even Brett Favre before that, where they're going to get into the tournament almost every year. It's gotten to the point in Buffalo, which if you'd told me this five years ago was going to be our mindset, you almost expect the playoffs. And that's because of the way they doubled down this year and proved that it wasn't because of the empty stadiums. Josh Allen can throw for 400 yards on your defense in front of a full stadium of your fans screaming at him, and he doesn't give a shit. Um, He's going to go out there. He's going to match Patrick Mahomes score for score. He's going to make Bill Belichick's defense look terrible. He's going to run the ball. He's going to throw the ball. We have weapons. We have, I think, a pretty good defense, but not as good as what it looked like as far as statistically. And that's where I am encouraged that this was a tremendous opportunity that slipped by. But Luca, I'm excited about the next 10 opportunities because I think it's just a numbers game. The NFL playoffs, football in general, it's a one-game elimination. You get into the playoffs, the best teams don't always win. You get a bad bounce, you get a bad injury, you get a bad fluke here or there. Like the Bengals were not better than the Chiefs. The Bengals, I will say, were not better than the Titans. They had some very fortunate things go their way. And they made it to the Super Bowl. The Bills could absolutely be the best team in the NFL next year. Host a playoff game against pick your AFC team. Post a playoff game against the uh, Denver Broncos with Russell Wilson. And let's say the Bills are 14-3 and and the Broncos won 10 games. And for whatever reason, Tyler Bass misses three field goals that day and the Bills lose a game in their home. That's just football. That's just life. But the point is, get into the tournament, get hot, get lucky, win a Super Bowl. You can do that. The thing that scares you is the Bills were in. They were as hot as hot can be, especially offensively. They should have won. That got to live with it. Yeah. But and, yeah. And I'll jump in there. Like, I, I just, I, I think you summed it up very, very well. They were as hot as could be, as we talked about. It all started in Tampa. They rattled off a bunch of wins. Honestly, and even against like the Jets week 17, weren't impressive, but got it done. And that almost makes you feel as good as a dominant win just because when things aren't going well like your punter cannot punt for his life and you're still just comfortably winning at for the majority of the game that's the nfl and you just gotta get wins so they're as hot as could be you choke away a game as we talked about with 13 seconds and yet here we are it is march 15th very late in the east coast and they're a betting favorite for the super bowl Mm-hmm. And we can confidently say that that's not surprising. So as you also said, you know, it could be, could be Russell Wilson coming into town. It could be Mitch Trubisky coming into town with Pittsburgh. You don't know, <laughs> you know, you know, it could be anyone in Tyrod Taylor with the giants. <laughs> well, that, yeah, that would be, 
Could you imagine that in the Super Bowl? But I'd uh, sign up for that right now. <laughs> Let's so, lose because we know a Giants fan. We don't want to be losing too. But. Those betting odds have to be crazy right now. That's but, a good. Uh, it's a good bet you could make. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, I mean, anything could happen. As you said, get in the dance. Hopefully, you're hot and you just let it go. And I think the comparison to Green Bay is spot on. I mean, we're gonna we have that guy. I mean, it, it's crazy. We listen to people even talk about Josh Allen like he's an Aaron Rodgers. And it's not outlandish to say such a thing, which if you would have said that about a Bills quarterback four or five years ago, we'd be losing our minds. There's no chance. There's no chance an Aaron Rodgers is playing in Buffalo, right? Here we are. Number 17 is our quarterback going forward. And you just have a great feeling going into every year moving forward that we will be competitive as competitive can be. So it's the future's bright. It's mixed feelings with the 2021 season, but here we are. The league year is going to start in the tick of an hour and a half, and uh, we'll be moving forward. I think the, the best way to sum up 2021, the same thing that drives you crazy is the thing that gives you hope. They were a fantastic team. They had some inconsistencies along the way, and they lost some games they shouldn't have, Jacksonville in particular. Um, but the way this team looked down the stretch in the playoffs – um, the way this quarterback looked, uh, everything we hoped this team would be outside of a Super Bowl champion, they were. And that just means that I think that it, they confirmed they are that team. But unfortunately, now the stakes are raised. The expectations are raised. Luca, if we are sitting here next year on this podcast and we're saying, was 2022 a success or a failure and they lose another game in Arrowhead, I don't care if it's 13 seconds, 12 seconds, 11 seconds, 5 seconds. It's it's a failure. Like. The bar is raised. It's it's time to get there. Now things happen. We talked about that, but that's where we're at. And that is a awesome place to be because we have been other places. We've been that team that's seven and seven and you need 17 teams to lose just to have a chance to get in as the six seed. So I take, I'll take this existence where the pressure is up and you feel like every time you don't win the Super Bowl, it's a missed opportunity. This is what sports are supposed to be. And Bills fans, we got it. We got the guy that I think 30 other teams would tr- would do whatever they could to get right now, and that's Josh Allen. So, Luca, what are they going to do to build around Josh Allen so that they don't have a gaffe like that in the playoffs? Well, we got some of those answers over the last couple of days as the – it's they don't I guess it's not officially free agency period. What do they call it now? The legal tampering period. Yeah, legal tampering period of the 2022 free agency period and new season. It, it, it makes no sense to me, but yeah. So the Bills have signed a couple of players. They've kept they've kept a receiver. They've moved some money around here and there. I'm just going to recap it very quickly and then I'll kick it to you just for what stands out to you. So AJ Klein and Darrell Williams were cut. Uh, Cole Beasley has been given permission to seek a trade, but as of the time that we're recording this, there has been no movement on him, so he's still on the roster. They have restructured Matt Hawk. Um, Really, that restructure is just to keep him on the roster. Um, They took away his roster bonus, which really means he's going to be competing for a job in camp. I don't know who he's going to be competing against. Probably there's some late round draft pick or an undrafted free agent. Or um, you know something like that, but a hey, guy just got cut in uh, L.A. There, that would be amazing. <laughs> but the, the heck, the hawk thing is, I think it's more of a sign that he has to kick for his job this year. When you see restructure, like, oh man, he's going to be here. I don't think that's the case. They extended Mitch Morse, which got him on the team for a couple more years. Well done, and freed up a little bit of money. 
They brought back Isaiah McKenzie on a two-year deal worth about $4 million. They signed Daquan Jones, defensive lineman from the Carolina Panthers, who spent the first few years of his career in Tennessee. They signed Tim Settle from the Washington Commanders. There is a 100% chance on this podcast at some point, I'm going to call them the old R word and the football team, but I actually got the first one right, the Washington Commanders. Um, They signed... They signed Pro Bowl guard Roger Saffold from the Tennessee Titans. Uh, One-year deal, Josina Anderson did say that there is a void year on there for the second year. But what's interesting is, when oh, let me backtrack. When I say they've signed, they've agreed to. You can't actually sign these guys except for Roger Saffold because he was, he was cut. He wasn't an unrestricted free agent. We don't know the contract details on Saffold, but for Settle and Daquan Jones, they haven't actually signed yet. They've agreed. They have signed McKenzie and uh, Saffold. And they agreed to a contract today with running back J.D. McKissick, also from the Washington Commanders. So before we get into some of the names that they're rumored to be interested in, um, Luca, before we and before we talk about some of the guys they've lost, like, let me go ahead and throw that out there. Uh, Levi Wallace is gone. He signed with the Pittsburgh Steelers, or agreed to with the Pittsburgh Steelers, two years, $8 million. Um, Horrible Harry, Harrison Phillips, is gone. He signed with the Minnesota Vikings. Three-year contract worth $19 million. Uh, Mitchell Trubisky went to Pittsburgh. I think he's going to have the inside track to be their starting quarterback there. Two-year deal in Pittsburgh. Obviously, there was not much thought that he was going to be back given what he was looking for in free agency. That's kind of a quick wrap-up of where we're at here one and a half days into this. What are your overarching thoughts on where the Bills stand? I, You know, going into the new league year and going into when we can officially start signing people, uh, this is kind of where I thought we'd be. I mean, I, I don't think that there's anything crazy. Maybe the Levi Wallace thing comes as a surprise a little bit. It Honestly, the contract details make it more of the surprise than the player itself. I think you can agree with. Mm-hmm. I think seeing that number and kind of, you know, how low it was. Yeah. That is more of the surprise being that, I mean, we saw McKenzie for, you know, up to, what was it? Eight million. I know it was two for four essentially, but it was up to eight. I think JD McKissick hasn't been said yet. I want to say someone else we signed or agreed to terms to was similar. So we already had two guys that we had agreed to terms with a very similar contracts. And yet Levi Wallace is sitting here or not sitting here anymore because of the same contract that the Steelers came around and offered him. So that one may be a little bit of a surprise. Trubisky, for instance, though, no brainer. Everyone saw that one on the, you know, happening. Everyone saw that coming. And inside track, I mean, geez, you can't be going into the year with Mason Rudolph as your number one. That just cannot happen if you're the Pittsburgh Steelers. I mean, you're you, Rudolph or Haskins as your guy. Ugh. Trubisky, definite inside track there, just to add that little thing. But yeah, I mean, it, we sit in a place that I'm good with. I mean, Tim Settle. You know, from Washington, we've talked to other individuals that are massive Washington fans in that same discord server, and they were upset. And that mm-hmm. that gives you a good feeling. You know, they they can't wait to see him hopefully succeed here. That that gives you a good feeling with someone like Harry out the door because of that. Um, hopefully he can really be something new to that interior D line, stuff like that. But um, yeah, I mean, Daquan Jones, that was a nice signing. Maybe a little bit more money that I would, than I would have expected for someone like him, but I, I won't. I won't complain about that since we do have those facets or other ways to open up some cap um, that I'm sure you'll get into in a little bit. But overall, going into the new league year, 
sitting here an hour 45 or an hour 15 i apologize until the new league year begins yeah this is this is kind of where i expected it this is exactly i mean i didn't think anyone was going to be jumping at the bit to trade for cole beasley here i didn't think that that was going to be coming before the new league year there's he's not exactly a commodity anymore so yeah i mean this is kind of where i expected it to be yeah i'm with you the levi wallace thing is interesting i so before this all started i would have thought if the bills had a chance to get him back on what i think is a very team-friendly deal for the steelers um two years eight million for a starting cornerback absolutely you do that so to me i start asking myself why because i think one of three things happened there one well, I guess one of two things. One, they just didn't want him back. Or two, he didn't want to be back. And I don't know I don't know where to fall on that, Luca, because you know the Tyler Dunn story that came out last week, or was it maybe 10 days ago? I saw I heard somebody call into WGR today on Chopin Bulldog and talk about it. And, you know, I'm not I'm not usually big on the conspiracy theories. It's not my jam, but I thought this person had an interesting comment that at least got my wheels turning. Um, he said, is it possible that the bills thought that Levi Wallace was one of the people that spoke to Tyler Dunn off the record? And that was kind of like their breaking point. If I had to bet money, I'd say that's probably not it. That'd be kind of petty. I wouldn't put it above Sean McDermott based on some things that, you know, he, he, I could see him being a little bit of a grudge holder, especially if he thinks one of his players is throwing him under the bus in the media. But I do wonder I wonder if the Bills were just content to move on anyway. Like in my mind, I'm thinking, okay, Trey White's coming off of the ACL injury in that Thanksgiving game, so there's no guarantee he's going to be ready by opening day. And if he is ready, what kind of shape is he going to be in? Is he going to be the Trey White we expect, or is he going to take a full year just to get back to where he was? That Levi Wallace insurance could make a lot of sense. But on the other hand, two years in a row now, say what you want to about the 13 seconds. There was. 59 minutes and 47 seconds in that game where they didn't do a heck of a good job stopping Kansas City anyway. And one thing that a lot of people remember is that Tyreek Hill touchdown before the drive that had on 13 seconds where Tyreek Hill was five yards open on a crossing route when he caught the ball and then it was off to the races. And that was against, unfortunately, Levi Wallace. And we've heard more than a couple people that covered the team say the Bills want to increase their team speed. Brandon Bean even said it in his end of year press conference. And it just makes me wonder if, well, the Levi Wallace security blanket of if we don't find a better cornerback than him, maybe we keep him, you know, we, we, we know we have him in house. Maybe the Bills don't want the security blanket. Maybe they're like, you know what, Levi, we appreciate everything you've done for us. You're, you're a good player. You're a useful player. But where we're going, what we need, we need better. And we wish you the best. We can get out of Dane Jackson, probably similar to what we can get from you, which is a player that we don't want to start. We want to find somebody better, but if we have to, we'll start. And we just need to find some more athleticism there. So I'm thinking the Bills didn't want to bring back Levi Wallace. And that's interesting to me if that's the case. Now, what also is interesting is Harrison Phillips left. The Isaiah McKenzie contract is fantastic. I think that does a great job. Absolute win. Absolute win. It does a great job to keep their um, their fastball, as Sean McDermott said about keeping wide receivers together, because right now they have Diggs, Davis, um, McKenzie, and they still have um, Beasley under contract, which I don't expect them to be here. We can talk about that in a little bit. But the McKenzie deal was great 
I thought they would find a way to bring back Harrison Phillips. I thought he was like a classic culture guy. The, the he was a third round pick that they drafted and you know draft, develop, retain. So I was surprised to see him go. What do you think about what it says about Harrison Phillips? Do you, what it says about their thoughts on him? Because Settle and Jones are two huge humans, and. I know Jones reads as a guy that is more of that true space eating nose tackle. And then settle is a guy that can, he compares somewhat to Jordan Phillips when he was in Buffalo, where he's a big man, but he also can rush the passer. So maybe like some of that space eating that he takes up while also giving you some interior pass rush. I think I like the move in theory. um, But I was just surprised. I, I thought the Bills would hold Harrison Phillips to a higher value than I think they did. What, how do you read that? Yeah, I, I think on the surface, I would agree. Um, I think the thing that comes to mind initially on this is there was a time, I don't remember if it was last season, that talks of potentially maybe looking to move him. Was that last year during the trade deadline? I'm trying to remember. I feel like there was a time recently somewhat recently that i you would read things that suggested that a harrison phillips trade was something not necessarily that we were actively exploring or whatnot but he was viewed as possibly able to be moved yeah and he he got injured in 2019 and 2020 was not a good year for him at all he he was losing snaps to justin zimmer he was not he was losing snaps to vernon butler he was not considered a top player on this team. Remember, he got benched in the yes. what was it the the game that got moved? To, was it Monday night or Tuesday night against the Chiefs at home? Yes, uh, he got benched because he they thought he was a, a liability. Um, they, they wanted to get their best run defenders on. Or they wanted to get their best pass defenders on the field, and they just benched him because they thought he was a liability. And yeah, so I I don't remember specifically him being on the trade block, but I do 100 percent remember him feeling like a guy that could have even been on the roster bubble coming into this year. Yeah, I, I just remember that time period where it was believed or felt by people around the front office or around the organization that he could be moved. And I, I remember this also because I remember thinking, man, Arizona could really use a guy interior. But uh, it was just that's kind of where my mind goes when I see, OK, we signed Daquan Jones, we signed Tim Settle and then let Harry walk. It, it kind of goes, OK. They must have felt he was, I don't want to say replaceable because we don't know how they felt about him as a character and as a person. And I think that really leans into what you talked about. He definitely could have been viewed as someone that was part of, you know, the the culture that that McDermott and Bean have been building. And he was drafted in the third round, as you said, and everything about that. But at the same time, they feel that they could have moved on and gotten a couple guys for essentially the same cost and essentially what we can do elsewhere in the interior beyond him. And from that regard, I just go, I trust them. I trust McBean. I trust McDermott and Bean in evaluating the situation and them deciding to move on from Harry and bring in two other guys that they clearly seem to like, especially for, I mean, Daquan at 10 mil guaranteed, a little steep um, based on what I'm looking at when I see him as a number. 
but they must see something in him and we're going to roll with it. Right. I mean, that's, they like him maybe for his size and what that brings or whatever it may be. And I firmly am able to trust it and not get caught up on it and am able to move on. It's easy to root for Harry too, by the way, going to Minnesota. It's not going to be hard to just be like, I really hope he still succeeds there. Minnesota is a place that I can happily enjoy a player being. So I think that also helps this. You know, if you saw him go to Pittsburgh or something like that, maybe it'd be a little more difficult. But uh, yeah, Yeah. I mean, I think that's it's it's a fair evaluation. And I, I think it's a fair thing to just say, trust the process as you know. Obviously, we would love to say over the past few years. But <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah, this isn't this isn't Chris Hogan and Stefan Gilmore going to New England where it's just <laughs> like, well, I kind of like those guys, but now I have to hate them. Um, yeah, Minnesota is a nice, safe spot. I think one thing that also gets lost in this is the Starla Tulele contract, him opting out in 2020 and really kicking his contract down the road. I, I really firmly believe had he not done that, the bills would have moved on from him, but by opting out, it essentially paused his contract and pushed everything back a year. So he pretty much is on this roster unless they want to cut him post June one. Um, he's not as good of a player as Harrison Phillips. I think that was pretty evident last year. And Brandon Bean even said in his end of year press conference, that Starla Tule really um, was not the same after his battle with COVID. It is important to remember he is still on the team for now, so he has another number there, but maybe that had something to do with the Harrison Phillips thing. But the other thing I'm thinking is, and I I don't want to give any slight to Harrison Phillips. He's been an easy guy to root for, good player, and I'm super happy for him that he got paid. Just everything you read about the guy is just everything you you want your pro athletes to be. Um, But the drought bills, like remember how many times they would extend Chris Kelsey? And it's like, okay. I, I know you drafted him in the second round and I know he gets you like five sacks a year, but I don't see it with him. Now I'm not saying Harrison Phillips is Chris Kelsey, but what I am saying is it always felt to me like the drought bills were like that insecure person in a relationship that even if it's a bad relationship, you're so afraid of being single that you just do whatever you can to keep the girlfriend you don't really want. And they would overpay their guys that weren't that good. I am okay if the Bills' philosophy with this whole draft, develop, and retain does have a line drawn where it's like, we're going to draft, we're going to develop, we're going to retain, but we're also going to have a hard line in the sand where if you're a great player like Josh Allen, like I think they view at Oliver, like um, Tredavious White, like Deion Dawkins in their mind, like I think maybe potentially Dawson Knox next year. I don't want to say great, but you know, like good enough. You're going to get market value. You're going you're gonna to get paid. You're going to be here. If you're a B plus B, B minus player, we're going to offer you a contract, but we're not going to extend ourselves. We're not going to get into a bidding war for your services. And if you go, we're going to tip our cap to you. I think that's what smart teams have to do. That's those tough decisions that we've been hearing Brandon Bean say that eventually if you draft well enough and you build a good enough team, you have to make those tough decisions. And I think Harrison Phillips falls into that tough decision category. As this podcast goes on, as the months go by, Luca, we're going to have another conversation around a player that I think has a similar conversation coming up with Tremaine Edmonds and what that could mean for him. Because I think right now he's in that, you know, pretty good, but not great territory. And he could be very much where I think Harrison Phillips is staring down the barrel of like, well, I know an Ed Oliver extension's coming and Ed Oliver clearly outranks Harrison Phillips. So you don't want to have two highly paid guys there and Ed Oliver wins. I do wonder when you look at the timing of it, if Dawson Knox and Tremaine Edmonds could be having a similar situation where they may only want to give out one of those big contracts to one of those guys and the other one has to walk. So something to get into down the line. 
overall, I'm cool with what they've done. I don't need my team to be to be the March superstars that are getting front page news and everything. Very rarely, I saw Warren Sharp um, point out earlier that very rarely the teams that win free agency as far as bringing in all the big money and spending all that are the teams that truly translate that to win once the games kick off in September. So I'm cool with where the bills are. Um, but I don't think they're done. I, there's still a lot out there. There's a lot of meat on this free agency bone. And I I'll tell you, it's not my favorite idea, but I think there's a pretty good chance that Chandler Jones is a Buffalo bill by the time this is all said and done. Are you getting those vibes too? So if you would have asked me that or asked me how I felt about it about two days ago, I would have told you, no, I I just, it didn't, it felt like a name that made sense. It felt like a desire that I wanted, but it was never inevitably going to happen. Right now we're sitting here. You have the Randy Gregory deal in Denver, which came out of absolutely nowhere. I mean, Dallas themselves put out a thing saying they agreed to terms and yet he didn't. So all of a sudden that eliminates him from going to Denver because you got Randy sitting there and it's starting to feel like, you know, I think we saw, uh, who was it? Albright had put out, you know, just a definitive yes, that all of a sudden the Randy Gregory signing heats up the Chandler Jones to Buffalo vibes. Mm-hmm. And, and here we are now, and who else could you ask to be on that edge? Who else could you really want? And I know we have another name in our little notes here that also fulfills that kind of need that we've been rumored to be in on. But uh, Chandler Jones being a bill, it definitely feels more like possible than not as if I'd give it like a 65, 35, that kind of feels like a good, comfortable spot to be in. I'm I'm not one of those people that likes to believe in it until I see it. You know, I know we have one individual in our discord that uh, who was a JC Jackson. He didn't believe that he was going to the chargers until a legitimate, Hey, it's happening. Was He's tweeted a Charger, out. Chargers fan you're referring to, yeah, yeah, exactly. So I find myself in that territory a little bit, but you know, going into Chandler Jones, yeah, I it it's starting to really feel like, holy crud, those dominoes are falling where they need to be. So yeah, here we are. It it could happen. It, it really could happen, and that is incredible to think about. So Benjamin Albright, who is plugged into the entire league, but very plugged into Denver, had been saying all along that Chandler Jones was the Broncos' top priority after getting Russell Wilson, that he was their top dog. He even sent out a um, a tweet right before free agency kicked off that he said that um, the Broncos are jonesing for pass rush help. I mean, he was dropping as many hints as he could. And I heard him on a, um, a Spaces chat with Jordan Schultz where he said that Chandler Jones was their plan A because the thought was that Von Miller was going to go back to Denver, right? Like, oh, because he was kind of putting some things out on Instagram about, hey, bring me back Broncos. And Albright was saying the whole time, no, they they have Chandler Jones rated higher. And honestly, if they can't get Jones, they're going to pivot to Randy Gregory. And he made it very clear. Jones is plan A, Gregory is plan B, and Von Miller really isn't part of the discussion, which is interesting. But um, we don't need to talk too much about the Broncos. But when the thing that you outlined earlier about Gregory seemingly going to Dallas and then at the last second Denver swooping in, it's like, whoa, wait, why did they pivot off of Jones? Because it would make sense if Jones had signed somewhere and then Denver did it. So what do they know about Chandler Jones? Albright's response to somebody that asked it is, is it's money. And then somebody else said, 
is this a good sign for people that want him in Buffalo? And he goes, yes. So then you think, okay, well, Dallas missed out on the pass rusher. So maybe they would be a spot for Chandler Jones to go. But now all the signs are pointing toward maybe they're going to kick the tires on Von Miller. And then they already have re-signed Demarcus Lawrence and they already have Micah Parsons in house. So do they really have that strong need? There's a lot of teams out there that could use a Chandler Jones, but with him being a hometown guy and, you know, I don't know if people know this yet, but Mike Girardi and Albert Breer had said at the combine that two players had reached out to the bills. Um, two prominent defensive players had reached out to the bills and um, had expressed interest in joining them, which was pretty cool to see because the bills are now that destination. Obviously the money has to be right. Um, Chandler Jones was one of those players. JC Jackson is reportedly the other one of those players. And I don't think the bills wanted that to get out because, you know, the last thing the team PR wants is, Hey, the superstar wants to play for our team, but we can't afford them. So it's going to look bad for us. But I think a lot of signs are pointing towards Jones being here. And I'll tell you, Luca, it's not my favorite idea. And it has nothing to do with Chandler Jones. It has more to do with, I just don't believe that in 2021 to beat the great teams that, that throw the ball really well, like the Mahomeses, the Brady's, that the way to do it is with edge defenders. I think we saw last year that Patrick Mahomes had some of his best games against TJ Watt, against Max Crosby, against Chase Young, against Joey Bosa. He put up tremendous numbers against those guys because he gets the ball out of his hands so quick. He's so good in the pocket. We even saw it with the Bills in the division round game where they got pressure on him. They just couldn't get him to the ground. I really think it's more about coverage than defensive line. But I know a lot of Bills fans are on this defensive end train. You as a Cardinals fan, we talked about you being 1A Bills fan now, but you certainly are more educated on Chandler Jones than I am. I look at him last year and I'm like, man, he had five sacks in the Tennessee game and finished with 10. And, you know, he's obviously a better player than what the Bills had at edge last year. And you and you think about where he could slide in on the defensive line with Russo on the other side and then the guys on the interior with Oliver and then settle, whatever that looks like. The Bills could really have something there, but I don't know. I just... I don't feel like if the Bills finally do beat the Chiefs, it's going to be because they have a Chandler Jones or a Daniil Hunter. I could be wrong. So talk me out of it and tell me why Chandler Jones is a good idea if you're so inclined. I'll start it with this. You know what's the most exciting part about Chandler Jones potentially coming to the Bills? Hmm. The fact that his entire career, essentially, he has been an outside linebacker. He's been that edge rusher, but he's been an outside linebacker. And even as a Cardinals fan, you would watch him drop back. There are wasted snaps. I don't want to say it like that because, of course, there's reasons you do certain things. But there are essentially wasted snaps where you have him not rushing, not engaging in the line. If he's here every time he is on the field, I would, I mean, I would imagine at least 99% of the time he is going to be rushing, whether it's for the run or pass, which by the way, I think one of the things that is severely underrated about Chandler Jones, which is insane to say in the first place because of how he is as a player already is his ability to contain and keep the edge on runs and his ability to blow up run plays. I mean, when the Cardinals were at their peak defensively in the first half of the season last year, watching every snap, you had J.J. Watt on the opposite side interior of Chandler Jones. And no one, not the Cleveland Browns, not anyone could run on the Arizona Cardinals. Not the Rams, not the Niners, no one. You could not do anything. And the ability to keep it all inside was the key. 
And there were two guys doing that. And I can tell you about 80% of it was the one man himself, Chandler Jones, because you were not running it to that side. So you have to make sure you just had, you were telling Marcus Golden or whoever on the other side, Hey, keep it in because then you have those big people, mainly JJ Watt to just swallow it up when they were at their peak. That was what it was. So now you have Chandler Jones in a four, three, essentially you have them playing down every time, not concerned with dropping back. You would imagine. I mean, the bills may flirt with that. Of course they were doing it with Rousseau. We saw Rousseau would be standing at times. We, we saw it happen, right? You would imagine that he can make an impact in the run just as much as the pass. And it's just a guy in a presence that you can bring into this locker room on that line that is just going to enhance everything around him. And for instance, the Cardinals defenses, they had elite defenses over all his years there. He was one of those guys that every single individual would talk about and would say, hey, he is the key to this thing working. If he's not on the field, that's when we're exposed. And it's that simple. So yes, I would have definitely going back into it, I would agree that coverage and team speed, as you mentioned, even a little while back, is a major issue with this defense when it comes to if there is an issue with this defense, being that obviously statistically they were still pretty dang good. Um, But with that all said, there's just something about Chandler Jones and just his presence and ability and everything that comes with it that can just make everyone around him better, even though he'll be on the defensive line, he'll be whatever they ask him to be. And it's just going to bring that mentality to everyone around him to step up their game and just do their job because that's the kind of person he is. I mean, Chandler Jones was in the middle of a contract negotiation or whatever you want to call it with the Cardinals all year. And he wanted to get paid in the off season and it wasn't going to happen. Kime and the Cardinals that they just don't pay people like that. Really? To be honest, not before the year like that. What does Chandler Jones do? As you mentioned it earlier, goes out, gets five sacks against the Tennessee Titans and absolutely destroys that game. He was just as big, by the way, in the run as he was the pass. Derrick Henry, I think, I, I think they abandoned the run quick, to be honest, but I don't think he had over 40 yards that game. I, I can't remember since it was week one, but, and that was coming off of the disappointment of him not getting the money. So what is not like, what is not to like about Chandler Jones? I honestly don't know other than the fact that it might be a little on the pricier side to sign him or anything of that regard. But Chandler Jones is a guy that instantly makes an impact on this team, both in the locker room, on the field, and will enhance everything you do and what you're able to do. He is just a home run and a half. So do you see it similar to how when before Diggs got here, we had John Brown, Cole Beasley, and I think who we had that boy, Isaiah McKenzie. And it was like, okay, like these receivers are okay. John Brown is as a, as a one, it's kind of like, eh, as Cole Beasley as your two, it's kind of like, oh, I don't know. And McKenzie as your three, it's like, uh, yeah, I mean, we're, we're making progress. We have some names that belong in the NFL. It's a big step up from Josh Allen's rookie year. And then Diggs came in and it was like, holy shit. Diggs is your one, and now John Brown can go be your two, and then Cole Beasley can go to your slot, and then Isaiah McKenzie can go be a gadget guy, and nobody can cover this team. And it's just like, it's not only upgrades your primary position, but it makes everybody else in a role that they can excel at. And then you kind of look at that on the defensive line. People have said the Bills need their digs trade on defense. 
Chandler Jones slots in and now you don't need Greg Rear so to be your best edge rusher. He can continue to grow and be a great run stopper and grow into his passing game. Now Ed Oliver isn't the guy on the D-line that's getting all the attention. That's going to be Chandler Jones, not Ed Oliver. Ed Oliver can then wreak havoc in the middle. I Do you think they would have that kind of an impact similar to a, a Diggs on the wide receiver group? 100%. I, I just It's so hard to imagine that Chandler Jones would come in here and it would almost feel like nothing happened. It, it just... I think the wide receiver comparison going into 2020 is spot on. I think you bring in digs and all of a sudden you could instantly see the impact. You could see how all of a sudden all those other chips just fell in perfect spots and things were just working. What five, 10 times better at times, you know, it, it just, it was perfect. It was, it was amazing. And to get someone like him, on the defensive side that can just open up everyone else on the line, because as you just mentioned, there is no chance that you're not putting focus pre-snap on Chandler Jones every time that so let, has to happen. Let's, let's spin this conversation. Now we've talked about it a little bit. This bill's defense, they had a damn good year last year. Number one, nothing to sneeze at. I understand the list of quarterbacks they played wasn't super impressive, but you only play who you play. And it's not like anybody's out there really shutting down Mahomes and Brady anyway. But this Bills defense, it just it feels like it's missing something, right? Like to me, and I don't want to disrespect Poyer and Hyde. I think they're both fantastic. I will call well, them do on the league. Yeah, I think they're both great. Micah Hyde is one of the best players on defense I've seen in a Bills uniform. And Poyer is right there with them. I think Tredavious White is great. The argument against my build from coverage thing is unless you have a Darrell Revis, which love Trey White, he's not he's not going to just erase all the number ones. That's not the way they play. They play a lot of zone anyway. The Bills, for as good as their defense is, I feel like the collective whole is better. They don't have like a game wrecker, especially in the front seven. Maybe Ed Oliver becomes that. I think maybe there's signs that he's becoming that. But they just don't have that guy that if you're lining up to play the Buffalo Bills this week, your offensive coordinator is thinking, we can't let this guy wreck our game. If we don't block this guy right, our game is screwed. They have a bunch of good guys. They have a bunch of guys that, yeah, they can win their one-on-one blocks. And again, Ed Oliver's maybe a separate conversation. Maybe he's evolving into that player. This is where my argument against the defensive end kind of loses some steam because I feel like Chandler Jones the Neil Hunter, a big swing like that gives us the bills, that game wrecker that just makes everything else make sense, makes the offense focus all their attention on that guy. And then all of a sudden Ed Oliver is a 10 sack guy. And look, I don't care about sacks. I don't judge defensive linemen by sacks, especially in a system like the bills where they rotate guys. And I think a rotation for a guy like Chandler Jones could actually be a good thing because we've talked about they're probably going to make the playoffs. There's no reason to gas him out in the regular season. Let's keep his legs fresh. I could really see that being the appeal to someone like Brandon Bean and Sean McDermott of, I don't want to call the guys on defense Robbins because they have some talented ass dudes on defense. But the, in my opinion, the majority of their talent is on the back end and it's hard to wreck a game on the back end. Like you're just, you're, you're taking away passing lanes. That's fantastic. That's super necessary. But as far as when you're watching a game and you're like, that guy is just messing up their game plan. They don't have that guy. Chandler Jones could be that guy. So where do you stand on their defense? Because I feel like I just spent a long time kind of insulting them and I didn't mean to, but 
I never got the impression we were watching an elite defense. I got the impression we were watching a good, fundamentally sound defense with their best players in the secondary. And when they went up against a, a muscle, run the ball down your throat team, they got exposed a little bit. Yeah. So this is going to bring out a point that I know uh, Bills fans everywhere have loved, loved at the end of the season. And how f- it was almost fitting. And I, I, it's, it still makes no sense. It still shouldn't have happened. We all know that. But it was almost fitting that that defense had zero pro bowlers because that fits what the defense was so well. They were the number one statistical defense in the league. As you said, you can only play the quarterbacks in front of you. You can only play the teams in front of you. But they were the best defense statistically. And yet somehow they left you wanting more or wanting a game record. And the fact that they had zero pro bowlers almost affirms that, right? And the funniest thing is the thing that comes to mind about a Chandler Jones, a Daniel Hunter, an Akeem Hicks, even that I know uh, we've also kind of talked about behind the scenes. Um, they're game records. They, they get things off schedule. Off schedule is the thing I always think about. And I don't know if that's from years of hearing it through other, you know, forms of media or just behind the scenes of, you know, practices or whatever you want to call it, whatever media I'm intaking. Right. But you want a guy that can get things off schedule. And as you said, the safeties can't do that. They, they really can't impact it that way. They are the best safety duo in the league, but it's so hard to do that from the back end. So maybe you have a linebacker in there that can do that. But I don't think we have that guy either. I don't think anyone in our roster currently is that guy. So now you need one on the D line. I think Eddie O Oliver. Yeah, absolutely. He was that guy. We hope to be it. He, he looks to be developing into potentially something like that, but still that's developing into, we're not sitting here saying that he is. No, he needs some help. Yeah, exactly. You need to give someone like that help. I mean, you just have to give someone, you know, it, as you said, the Robin comparison, you it's, it's fitting because it's not like Robin is useless. You just need to give him his Batman. You just need to give him that guy that is supposed to be there, take care of all of it, and then they can do their jobs at the best ability they can, and that will just bring them up even more, right? So I, I just, yes, exactly. I think the no pro bowlers almost in a way was a perfect, you know, uh, just a, a nice bow on this defense. It was perfect to just show that this defense was legit. It was definitely wrong. And there should have been pro bowlers like our safeties. Uh Just, I'm going to keep giving them shout outs as much as I can. Uh, but but at the same time, it, it almost felt fitting because as we sit here, as we keep saying it, and I'm just saying it again, they left you wanting more and you just wanted that game record that could get things off schedule. And that felt like it never happened. It just felt like we were going, we were running our system as best as we could. And it's a damn good system and it's a damn good defense, but you need someone to be an individual and wreck it. And we don't have that guy. Are we allowed to cuss on this podcast, Luca, or do I need to keep it under control? <laughs> if you've noticed, I've been very tempered. Normal- okay. So I will, compared. I will, but no, you can, you, this can open up. We can absolutely open up. Okay. So Chris Sims, I love Chris Sims. I love the way he describes football. I love the way he talks about the ins and outs of plays. I love his draft analysis. He has a term called a fuck shit up player. And he, when he's going through his defensive lines and usually it's defensive linemen, when he's watching them for the draft, he's like, all right, this guy is really fast. This guy runs a good 40, whatever. 
And this guy just fucks shit up for the offense. And that's what the Bills are missing right now. Maybe it's Oliver, like we said. And the other point is, yeah, they used their first two picks last year on Rousseau and Basham and the year before on AJ Epinesa. And there is the chance out there, I think better in the case of Rousseau and Basham than Epinesa at this point, that one of those guys does develop into that Batman. But that doesn't have to be a bad thing if you go out and get a Batman, like a like a Hunter or a, um, a Jones. And then all of a sudden you have two of those guys on your line, plus Oliver in the middle. I mean, good luck. And I know I'm contradicting myself. I still think all else is all else fails. Like if everything is even, I'd rather not sink all the resources into the defensive line. But one, I'm, I'm pretty good at this, like following the tea leaves, following the breadcrumbs thing. I think this Chandler Jones thing is going to happen. I, I enough people that are connected to it or dropping enough hints. It just feels like if it doesn't happen at this point, it's not going to be for lack of trying on the Bills' part. I also think if the Chandler Jones thing doesn't work out, there's another move the Bills can pull off that I would like better than Chandler Jones. They could trade for Daniil Hunter, who I believe has his roster bonus due on the 18th of March. And it's a pretty substantial roster bonus. So the Vikings have to make a decision there, whether it's a restructure or trading him before then. And that's a big drop dead date. And the Bills, Stacey Dales on NFL Network said that she thinks the Bills are the top team to pry him away from the Vikings this year. And we also know that they have that foundation with the Vikings having done the digs trade in the past. I know some people are speculating that it would take the first round pick. I don't agree with that. I could be wrong. I've been wrong before, but when you look at what Khalil Mack went for at two and a six, I mean, you look at what Amari Cooper went for a fifth round pick. You haven't really seen that guy go for a one yet. And Hunter plays a premium position. He's a young player. But if it's an unattractive contract to the Vikings, I don't know if they have enough leverage to get him out of there. So that's a long way of saying that. I think think the Bills are going big game hunting at edge. And I'll throw one more thing out there for you before I kick it back to you is Ogba from the um, Dolphins was on NFL Network doing an interview. And they asked him about his process. They re-signed him. And he said the Bills were in it and they were one of the teams bidding for his services. Doesn't have to mean anything, but I think it's obvious to me that the way that Sean McDermott and Brandon Bean have liked to build their rosters where they want to have a vet in every room. You look at that defensive end room right now, it's second year player, second year player, third year player, and then it's Mike Love. Like there's a screaming need for a vet. And you look at the fact that they were in on Ogba, they're being rumored to be in on Daniel Hunter, and the Chandler Jones smoke is becoming almost uh, overwhelming at this point. I think the Bills are going to go big game hunting at edge, and I predict at this point they're going to come away with one. Yeah, I, I, you know what? I did not know about that Ogba thing. Also, have I been saying Daniel Hunter wrong this whole time? Um, My it, it could have been, he, it looks like it's Daniel, but I've heard, I've heard NFL <laughs> network say Daniel several times. So I'm just thinking, Hey, that's what, that's what it is. But Hunter, well, I don't think he's listening, but I severely no. apologize. Daniel. If he is, uh, Hey, shout out to him. But, uh, yeah, no, it, it's, it's really cool. So, you know, we're actually sitting on the 10 year anniversary of signing Mario Williams, which of course we both remember how that felt. And to sit here and be like, Hey, we're going after a Chandler Jones, Daniil Hunter or an Ogba that is wild to think about. And it's, it's exciting. It's exciting to see that they're not accepting the fact that they were the number one defense almost in a way, right? We, we want to improve whether that's the right way to go about it with the funds we have 
that's of course a discussion in its own, but it's, it's exciting regardless. And at the end of the day, when games start coming around, you and I and everyone else are not going to be thinking about, or at least not thinking about too much about uh, how much they're making, if they're making at least enough of an impact. Right. And if it takes another, you know, million or so to convince Chandler Jones, or I don't think it will take a first either for Hunter. I, I just don't see that based where the market is set, as you just pointed out. But if it costs, let's say a third, what a third, and then maybe, Hey, maybe a conditional third the following year, right? Something like that, or a conditional third that would turn into a second, whatever it is, right? It, are we going to really complain if he's making the impact that we want him to make? Absolutely not. I've never once watched a football game in my life and thought to myself, that play didn't go in our favor, but man, we have a lot of cap space. <laughs> so you're, you're 100% right. And that's the thing that's where we trick ourselves this time of year, where it's like, oh man, we cut this guy, we saved this much money, we, we traded this guy for draft picks and all this stuff, and it sounds cool. And then you get on the football field and you're like, shit. We need more players. And I'm starting to cuss now and I got to stop. Um, Dan, yeah, okay. Daniel Hunter to me is a better idea than Jones really for just some, I think some fairly obvious stuff. He's a younger player. He's 27 years old. I think he could be a part of that defensive core going forward. Um, and I like the fact that his contract is heavy while Rousseau and Basham, you know, I'm going to just, I'm going to go on the assumption that one of those guys is going to turn into a quality. Russo was good last year. He was just good at the thing that isn't sexy. He was good at stopping the run and he had his moments in in the past game. But um, I, I, his traits are just so good that I think there's a chance that he's going to be special, but I just, it's hard for me to imagine Russo not being at least a solid starter for the bills going forward. Um, but I like the idea of if, if you're on board with the defensive line, which I've already said, you know, to me, it's not my favorite idea, but if you are on board, now is the time to strike with an expensive edge because have them be expensive now while Rousseau and Basham are cheap for the next four years or three years in Basham's case. So that makes a lot of sense. Um, Hunter makes sense. One name that they were tied to earlier I saw was Akeem Hicks. That's another interior player. You mentioned him. Um, that would be interesting, but they're starting to get really heavy numbers there at defensive tackle. I think if they were to do something with Hicks, that would probably definitely signal that Star Latulale is not long for the roster. But my guess is that's more of a sources getting mixed up. I just can't see that Hicks even being on their radar now after what they did with with Settle and De, and Dequan Jones. Um, let's talk a little bit about the the offensive moves they made, Luca. Um, JD McKissick today, the running back. I saw Bill's Twitter going crazy about him. You know, to me, it's it's a cool move. Yeah, they they don't have that. I don't want to call him a scat back. I don't know if scat back is the right way to put it. To me, the, the guy I brought up to you earlier was James White. And I know McKissick played wide receiver in um, in college. And he is a great receiver of the football. He reminds me somewhat of maybe Duke Johnson even, where he's just they don't have that guy on their, on their team where he can be such a mismatch in the pass game. But the thing I will say is, I think a lot of people see that, oh, he can catch the ball and he's a real weapon out of the pass game. And you immediately think to yourself, oh, he's got to be super fast. He's not a real explosive player and that's fine. He's not, he's not slow. He's just not fast. He just, he's really elusive. Maybe like a, a lesser version of like a Darren Sproles type player. If you go back far enough to remember that, I think he's a nice weapon. He's going to, there were a lot of people. I know you saw it that cover Washington that were on Twitter today. Like I'm not talking about fans. I'm talking about journalists that cover Washington that were like, this is a huge get for the bills and a huge loss for, for Washington. 
Um, quickly, what are your thoughts on McKissick and does it mean anything for say like Zach Moss or uh, even Taiwan Jones coming back? Um, I think less on Taiwan Jones. We'll start there. Um, I think Taiwan Jones, when it comes to his special teams and what he brings there, uh, I think that's going to kind of make him a little safe. Uh, when it comes to Moss, I know, I know, um, we both have discussed that at length at, you know, sometimes during this past season, I think Moss is long for removal from this roster. I think it's inevitable. I think, um, it is, it's unfortunate because there was hope maybe, you know, going into this year that he could be a solid player on this roster, but it was pretty apparent, you know, halfway through the year that he is just not it. And when you're trying to justify his roster spot to his past blocking abilities and his ability to be a guy that can pick up, you know, free rushers or whatever it may be in the backfield that you need him to, that's not exactly why you want to have someone on the roster at his position. I think we can both agree there. That's not what your number one attribute should be. Now, on the flip side, you have a guy like J.D. McKissick who... um I, I, you're not bringing him into pass block. You're you're not bringing him into you know grounded pound. As you mentioned, he's a pass catcher. He's he's fun to watch. I I do like the signing. I'm gonna pump my tires here real quick. I wrote a note back in February, actually January 28th, uh, of my top three at positions that I would like to see the Bills look at in free agency. JD McKissick was just underneath that wonderful guy Chase Edmonds on my running back section. We don't have to get into that one. Thank I know you. you and I are both uh, a little hurt about that one. But uh, yeah, I mean, I like it. I, I I don't think it was overly expensive. I, I know we don't have the exact details, I don't think. Um, but I can't imagine it's going to be overly expensive. And it's someone to bring in that definitely brings a different dynamic and a proven dynamic that this offense could use. I, I, I definitely think that Bills fans everywhere can agree that he is someone that we would have loved to have seen be on the roster last year at certain points, right? I mean, on the whole year, we would have loved to have have a JD McKissick on our roster out there to maybe be what we needed him to be when we had Brita out there or whatever it else may be. Now, Brita brings a little bit more speed and a little bit of a different dynamic than JD McKissick, but I think that's what we were hoping Brita would bring is something like JD McKissick can. And, um, Overall, I'm okay with it. I don't think this influences the running back room too much. Would I be even be surprised if Zach Moss is still on the roster even with the signing? No, absolutely not. I don't I don't think that necessarily says anything for sure with anyone. It's just another body to bring in, another body to see what can work, and I don't see it necessarily working negatively. So that's good. I, I, I don't see the problem there. You know the value of Bill's chat, and it just it just clicked with me right now. And for those of you listening, if you are listening, we really appreciate you. You probably have a similar situation where you have a a text chain of people that like the bills and you guys talk about things like that. When you talk through some of these things, a light bulb will go off in your head and you'll think to yourself, man, that that's the point. That's, that's what I like about it. I found something while you were talking that I like about JD McKissick. And I don't know what it specifically was that you said. There's been this fear for years or the last two years where Josh Allen's been ascending that Sean McDermott's a defensive coach. Um, he, he sees the way Josh Allen plays. He's going to try to rein him in, which I think is probably somewhat important for the regular season to prolong his career. 
but that Sean McDermott wants to be a ground and pound team and the Bills are going to, you know, no matter how good Josh Allen is, that Sean McDermott wants to build a, you know, a team that can run the ball and all this stuff. And I, it just clicked in my head that signing J.D. McKissick is like the ultimate sign of they're going to be a throw first team. And I, obviously they're a throw first team. It's 2021. But when I say throw first, I'm not saying like 60, 40, I'm saying throwing on first down at the highest rate in the league that like they've been doing the last two years, throwing on second down, second and short throwing on that. JD McKissick to me is a sign that they're not going to turn into a ground and pound team. They're not going to turn into a team that tries to establish balance. They're not going to be that team that, Oh, it's second and nine. Let's try to get four yards back to make it a third or third and short. I don't know why this took so long to click with me. I've never really had that fear with McDermott. I always felt like, you know, people hold what he said against him in his press conference when he showed up about wanting to establish the run when his quarterback was Tyrod Taylor and they drafted Nathan Peterman. Like that's the thing you say when you don't have a quarterback, no offense to Tyrod. Tyrod was one of my favorite players when he was here, but when you don't have an elite quarterback, you say things like running the ball is what I want to do, but he's seen Josh Allen put up back-to-back MVP level seasons And he said last year when they signed Emmanuel Sanders, you don't want to lose your fastball. And they went out and signed one of the best running backs in football at catching the ball. And I don't know why it took so long today for this to click in my head, but McKissick to me is a sign that we don't have to worry about McDermott coming in and being like, well, now Brian Dable's gone and we're going to get back to what football is, which is running. No, this team has Josh Allen. They have Stephon Diggs. They have Dawson Knox, Gabe Davis, and they signed a running back today who specializes in catching the ball. Um, I agree with you on Zach Moss. Um, it's time. It's time to. It's time to find a better answer. I realize he's only RB RB three at this point, but you know, it's just it's so the same things about running back that it's like it's so easy to find a running back, but then it's also like, man, you really wish you could have that third round pick back. In his defense, you know, you don't know how much of that ankle injury from the Colts playoff game in 2020 is still lingering from, through this year, and maybe that slowed him down. But like you said. Great pass blocker for what he is, a useful player in that regard, but that's just not enough to justify, in my opinion, at this point, even a roster spot. There's just not enough juice there. He doesn't do anything to me that Devin Singletary doesn't do better with the exception of pass blocking. And I will say this, you and I were both under the impression that McKissick would be a liability in pass blocking. I did some digging today in Field Yates tweeted something and I, I'm like 99% sure it was field Yates. I just looked for it on Twitter and I have a Chandler Jones update for you too. I'm going to get to, um, I couldn't find out who it was, but it was somebody with ESPN who has no reason to be pro bills. And they said something along the lines of McKissick excels in catching the ball and blocking. And that caught me completely off guard because I wasn't thinking about that, but man, like he's, we know he's going to be in on third downs. That's why you paid him that money. And the fact that he can block too, like that's, that's exciting to me. And I don't care I don't want to sound flippant about it and I don't want to sound, you know, like anything behind door number three is better, but it's just, it's so easy to find running backs. They come out of nowhere all the time. I'm ready to see what's behind door number three for Zach Moss's roster spot. I agree with you. Taiwan Jones will be back. He's just excellent on special teams. You know, he's a McDermott guy. He's a process guy. And speaking of process, Luca Chandler Jones tweeted, 15 minutes ago. Such a fun process. It's getting real though. Sleep well, tweeps. Talk to you soon. I just saw that tweet as you said something. Just want to point out. So I, as soon as I saw the tweet, I was like, 
he's really about to talk about this, which I I think we're simpatico at this point. I, I think we saw that tweet and we're like, oh, this is real. Something has happened. I'm sure it won't be long. This, I, what do you think? Before noon? I, I Something's going to happen tomorrow. If, if you ask me, okay, I don't, so I, I will tell you that I am not proud of what I'm about to admit here, but I am totally that fan that tries to find breadcrumb clues on the internet for these guys, like their social media stuff. And all day long, I, I just, I wanted to check Chandler Jones's Twitter. Okay. There's nothing to say here, but he follows, he, he doesn't follow any bills players. And that's good because if all of a sudden you check who he's following and like Josh Allen and Stefan Diggs pop up, you're like, uh Oh, something's happening. Um, but he was at following 115 players or 115 people all day. And it just went up to 116. I was like, Oh my God, he followed somebody new, but I think it was probably just um, Darius Leonard from the Colts. Cause I just had an interaction and I just saw Darius Leonard in this thing. And I did just check through real quick. There are no bills in there. So I am that guy that stalks on Twitter and is like, okay, are you following the guys? Cause that could mean something. I would say tomorrow makes a lot of sense. I honestly think when the Randy Gregory thing went down, it made me think that Chandler Jones had already picked his team and they were just sorting out the numbers. Um, because I don't know it, for whatever reason, Luca, maybe you have a better idea than me. It doesn't seem like Von Miller is really thought of in the same regard as Chandler Jones. And I, I don't really get that. I don't know what it is about Von Miller, but for whatever reason, like everybody that writes these articles about the, the prized free agents, it's, it's Chandler Jones and Von Miller is listed below him. I think I would go into something and and it's just the homer in me. It, I want to stipulate everything I have talked about, everything I will talk about going forward. There is the obvious bias with Chandler Jones. We talked about where my fandom has you know been and it, it will still continue, you know, but with all that aside, over the years that he's been in the desert, over the years he's been in Arizona, just absolutely putting up numbers. He, which by the way, is just unbelievable considering some of the teams throughout then that he's been on. Cause yes, there was the years with Carson Palmer. There was, you know, Kyler and his ascendance. Um, but then, I mean, there was a Josh Rosen year in there and I think Chandler Jones just quietly had yet another all pro year in there. Um, but with that said, you know, it was always the numbers when you see them are always he is top three in sacks with Aaron Donald and JJ Watt going back to said day. And he's in, you know, top three in QB pressures with, say, Von Miller and JJ Watt since date. He is top pressure since a sooner date with Khalil Mack and Von Miller or JJ Watt or Aaron Donald or whatever. He's always in the top three in almost every one of those statistical categories. And he's been in it for so long. I think the detriment to Chandler Jones's career has been that he played for the Arizona Cardinals. It, it is crazy to say because the Arizona Cardinals have had years where the, you know, I mean, what was it? 20, oh man, it's bad that I can't think of it. But 2015, they were in the NFC championship and they just got blown out by the Panthers. Yeah. They were on, he was on legitimate teams. And yet no one would talk about Chandler Jones other than, Hey, he's top three in this statistical category with Aaron Donald and JJ Watt or Aaron Donald and Von Miller or Khalil Mack and Von Miller, whatever it may be. And I think that's why finally people have looked at that. I think what I would say probably in the past five years, 
it, people have really dug into numbers. Analytics has skyrocketed and his name is always near the top. So he's finally hit free agency. He's sitting there and everyone's like, he is a gem. Let he me, is the let, king. Let's play a little game. The Chandler Jones game. <clears throat> the Bills sign Chandler Jones tomorrow. And it means you don't, we don't need long answers here. I don't, cause I work in that. Well, we could probably do a whole podcast on Tremaine Edmonds, but, um, and it means that it prohibits them from extending Edmonds long-term. That means Edmonds is last year is this year. You in? Ooh, that's a tough one. Um, so let me, let me double down and then kick one thing back to you. Cause you brought it up earlier. And it kind of ties into this. So Edmonds and Knox are together. Mm-hmm. Does that inhibit Knox? I am not in favor of anything that inhibits Knox at this point, unless okay. unless the tight end market just continues to skyrocket and Knox is wanting like twenty million dollars. <laughs> I don't want to take away weapons from Josh Allen. I then would probably ever so slightly lean yes. It, that is an incredibly difficult question. I just want to start with, I honestly, making that statement, making that answer, giving it to you right now with what, all of 30 seconds of thought? Yeah. feels criminal. But I would probably lean 50.0001% towards Yes. Okay. How about since these are off off the top of your head, I won't hold you to these if you decide to think about it at a later date and revisit. And by the next time we have a podcast, we will know probably if Chandler Jones is a bill or not. Um, well, let's change the question a little bit. What if it means that the bills have to move on from either Edmonds or Milano? Because that is one path they could do is move on from Milano next year if they wanted to. Ooh. Um, yeah, I, I would still go with it. I, I just think... You're in a rare spot right now, you as a team, and that's what I'm looking at. As an organization and as a team, you're in a rare spot, at least for the Buffalo Bills. You are a legitimate contender with the Super Bowl, that championship. Mm-hmm. I don't know if we're going to get in trouble for that. That championship just at the cusp. <laughs> we are the a team. <laughs> we expect to be there. Yeah. We, we need to be there. We should be there. And if you have an opportunity like bringing in a game record for this year and it's not at the expense of those individuals for this year, you do it. So I would do it. I like Edmonds. I think he's good. I don't think he's great. And I don't think he's ever going to be great. And that's just where I'm at now. Maybe Daquan Jones comes in and eats up space in the middle and keeps Edmonds clean and he has a great year and I'm changing my mind. Cause I, I will tell you right now, just, this is a get to know us podcast. I am not somebody and Luca. I know you're the same way, but I'll let you speak for yourself. I am not somebody that says something on March 15th. I get more information, more information, see things happen. And I'm like, well, I said on March 15th that I wouldn't extend Edmonds. So I have to stick with it, even though he's having a great year. Um, I am I am not beholden to what I said before. I'm telling you on March 15th what I'm thinking. If games start happening, if I see improvement, I'll raise my hand and say, hey, I was wrong. He did get better. He's a superstar now. You got to pay to keep that guy. Um, I think Edmonds is, is a potential trap this team's going to have to find their way through because good, not great, but I think he's going to get a great contract from somebody and it's going to be hard, I think, for Brandon Bean and Sean McDermott to let him go with all the time they've invested in him and the capital they invested in him. But we can have a whole show on him later. 
Um, I don't see anybody else. I think we're both a no on if it would cost him Dawson Knox, right? At this point in time, yes. As you said, I'll put an asterisk there. If the tight end market keeps going at the rate that it is with the insane numbers that we've seen some of these guys on the market and more power to them. Let me let me just also take a very split second of a moment and say I am never not in favor of an individual getting the money they feel they deserve. 100%. I just want to say I want to say that like I'm never looking at an NFL player and go, dang. I'm upset that they got that much money. Good on them. They secured the bag, as they like to say. So, I, I but with where the market looks to be going, if we're paying, you know, or we have to pay Dawson Knox 20 mil or yeah. not, that's a ridiculous number, but, you know, 15 mil, then we'll readdress that. But other than that crazy scenario, mm-hmm. no, yeah, I, we Knox is here to stay. And then, you know, the other way is if if they don't, if they aren't the team that gets Chandler Jones, there are other options we talked about with Daniel Hunter. And I think those are really the only two ones. I don't think Ed Oliver would be somebody in that conversation. I think he's obviously going to be somebody they keep. So it's going to be interesting. There's some hard decisions ahead for the Bills. Um, quickly, let's talk about the offensive linemen they signed. Roger Saffold, Joe Biscaglia. I, I just butchered his name. I apologize. Joe Biscaglia um, with The <laughs> Athletic. I think is great at putting together the clues of what Aaron Cromer is wanting to run with his offensive line. And he had said for months that the decision they made on Daryl Williams, um, cause it wasn't an obvious decision to cut him, but it would tell him a lot about the way Cromer wants to build his line. Um, because the bills started out last year with guys like Feliciano Ford Williams as a power line. And then what happened as the year went on as Spencer Brown got in the lineup and then eventually Rick Bates, Ryan Bates, whatever you want to call him, got in the lineup. They became a real athletic line and where Daryl Williams was really the only, only unathletic player on that line. And you started seeing things like Mitch Morse out there pulling Bates out there pulling and it just it opened up so much for that running game, and that's when Singletary really got off. And with them letting go of Williams and bringing in Saffold, who I've been reading is a tremendous athlete for the position, I think the Bills are trying to be more athletic up front, not necessarily powerful. I endorse that because of the success they had at the end of last year. It seems like they might be going to a little bit more of a zone running system. That'll be interesting to, to see. And uh, I think Saffold checks a lot of boxes. He played with Cromer. Um, he, he grades out better than Daryl Williams when you look at some of the sites. Um, he was a pro bowler last year for whatever that's worth to you. Um, he wasn't a guy that I, doesn't seem like Tennessee was necessarily eager to let go. They're just trying to save money. And I think he also, he started his career as a tackle and now he's playing guard. So he also could give you some of that flexibility where if you lose a tackle in a pinch, and you need him to kick out to guard like you or to tackle like you saw Daryl Williams have to do from time to time last year. He can probably get you out of a game and maybe get you through a game if you have to do that. So checks a lot of boxes, makes a lot of sense. I think this was one that you and I both saw coming when we saw his name floated out there as a cut candidate for the Titans. Uh, I like the move. How about you? Yeah, everything you just said is absolutely spot on. Check the boxes is the best way to say it. Um it's a great insight on if we're trying to go in more into a zone run scheme and get those more athletic bodies up there. I love that idea. Um, you know, not only for the, just for that zone running and just changing how we address that, but also, I mean, when you think about it and you think about the style of offense, we want to run big, powerful bodies are not necessarily the best thing to have when you have a guy like Josh Allen, 
Mm-hmm. I, I don't think that's exactly the type of line you want out there. You want guys that can move around, the guys that can handle individuals in front of them that can move around. You want them to be able to – the pocket's going to move. You know, Josh Allen's is going to – he's going to move. You need guys that understand that, are willing to do it, and put in the work to help him out. And then a little bit going back to Saffold's days on the Rams, he is dang good, damn good, really effing good mm-hmm. at run blocking. Yeah. At least going back to that, he is – I mean, when Gurley was going back in those days, holy crap. He was part of the problem there. He was in problem in the good way for Todd Gurley. He was a beast. And obviously, he may not be that guy anymore. Um, it is still wild to me that the Titans just cut him. I understand it was probably a money thing, of course, and everything that goes into that. But I love that we just jumped on it, got something done. Um, we discussed it earlier. Is it one year with avoidable second year, which is great for, you know, everything else financially, it, it, everything about this signing, it's not sexy. It just makes so much sense and is awesome to get done quick. Yeah. McDermott and Bean aren't shy about who they are. They don't hide it. Bean said he wants to build the line of scrimmages. Once you figure out who your quarterback is, the next thing is he wants to be good up front on both sides and everything he's done so far in free agency really backs that up. I like this signing a lot. It was Josina Anderson that said there was the, um, the voidable year on the second year. We still haven't gotten contract numbers on him. I would guess he probably comes in around five or $6 million cap hit for the year mm. with some of that money squeezing into that voidable year. All right. Well, before we finish up on Bill's free agency talk, we know what they've done. We've talked about what they've done. What's left? Uh, we talked about Ed Rusher quite a bit. I don't think there's anything else really to say there. Um, what are you looking at as needs that they need to fill before the draft? We could talk about cornerback. Do they want to add another receiver? Are they done at running back? Uh, they still need another quarterback on this roster other than Josh Allen. Um, doesn't have to be a big fish, but what would you expect them to get done in the veteran market before the draft gets here? I mean, so I, it's interesting. I, I, I honestly am not sure exactly where they intend on going. It seemed like edge rusher, as we discussed at much length previously, is something they were going after hard. But now with Levi Wallace out, and we're going to go back into that, you know, defensive back and cornerback, that's where I really see them really flirting around with the market, seeing where they can get something. You know, we haven't seen all the cut candidates that will probably come. I mean, there's there's a there's a name out there that I know you and I have discussed at length with others uh, that seems to pop back up. Mm-hmm. And, and and that's a guy that, uh, you know, I won't name because he's not technically a free agent yet, but um, someone that I think we can eye. And that's uh, James Bradbury. I, I think he is someone that if he gets cut and he's on the market, I would not be shocked one bit to see us jump right on it. He's familiar with McDermott. He's familiar with what we want to do on uh, defense. Apologies. And um, he would be great to bring in. He would be honestly, in, in my opinion, and I believe in your opinion as well, an improvement to what Levi Wallace brought. Yeah. I, I just think he is a guy that, I mean, out the gate as a, as a, you know, first corner, probably not the best, but man, is he a really nice second corner? He is a really nice compliment. So once you get Trey back and hopefully he is back up to health sooner than later, if you can slide him in in that second spot opposite of him, 
you feel very comfortable. And, and I'll throw out another name out there. It's a name that I've watched over the years. He hasn't been blowing up, but I don't think he's been too off since his, you know, rookie year, but a guy like Kevin King, I don't think he's going to demand a crazy amount of money. I don't think he's going to be driving his market up like crazy, but he seems like a guy that could really fit this scheme well and his athletic attributes just scream so much upside that if, you know, if you can get him for uh, a somewhat reasonable deal, you don't have to overpay for him and you bring him in and you just kind of tell him, hey, the first six weeks, you're going to we may have to lean on you. And this is, of course, assuming Bradbury is not going to happen. Someone like him, you can kind of get him familiar with the system. And then eventually he slides to that two spot opposite Trey. And and it's another one that seems like it could work. The marriage really could be there. And and that's a name that I, you know, I'll just throw out there that um, I'm pretty sure he's still a free agent. Last I checked, I don't think he agreed with anyone and I don't think he's going to be going anywhere hot. So you know, that's someone that you could see a few days into free agency by the time we're recording next that, hey, he's only he's got a team friendly deal wherever he went. Maybe it's here. Yeah, Kevin King's an interesting guy because he has that athletic profile that the Bills really don't seem to chase on defense. Like it, there's a running joke out there like, oh, he's too athletic to play for the Bills just because of guys like Dane Jackson and um, Levi Wallace are not the athletic freaks th- that you see out there. Um, I, I wanted King last year when I thought Wallace was leaving. I, I have this thing about McDermott and Leslie Frazier where, you know, I'm not saying I'm being a homer, but I just really feel like, and their track record backs it up. They get the most out of their defensive backs. If, if there has, if there's the ability in one of their defensive backs to be great, (laughs) Fonte Davis aside, um, they are going to, they're going to find that greatness in that player. Uh, Micah Hyde. Very good in Green Bay. Became great in Buffalo. Jordan Poyer had some injuries in Cleveland. Became great in Buffalo. Tredavious White was not considered a top prospect. He was kind of a fringe first, second rounder. Instantly impact great player. You look at guys like EJ Gaines came here and played way above what we thought he was going to do. You look at what Levi Wallace was able to do. You look at what Taron Johnson's been able to do. So I think that the Bills are in a position where a guy like a Kevin King, who has been up and down, did get burned by Scotty Miller in the NFC Championship game. We all remember that. But I think Kevin King's a guy that could come here and, as Sean McDermott likes to say, be the best version of himself. Um, But I also wonder... Are they looking more at like a veteran route, like a guy that they can just plug in for one year, and then I would then expect them to back that up with a young draft pick, a young draft pick. That's obvious. There's not many old draft picks out there, but a rookie that you can slide in for maybe like first, second, third round, um, a name like Stefan Gilmore is out there, although I would not hold your breath waiting for Sean McDermott to bring him back in. I know one name a lot of Bills fans like is Dante Jackson. From Carolina, he has that speed. I know people are like, oh my God, another Carolina player. I don't think Dante Jackson overlapped with McDermott. So I don't think that would even be a thing uh, as far as like him trying to bring in his old guys from Carolina. Um, outside of that, th- you know, there's like some older guys, Patrick Peterson, Xavier Rhodes. There's some guys out there that could fill a role and play, and play a spot for the Bills. But I really am starting to get the vibe, Luca, that this is going to be a position they attack early in the draft. And it might be a similar situation as we saw last year with edge rusher where they double dip early. Maybe not first and second round, but I could see first and third or first and fourth round. Yeah. And, and you know, we'll we'll discuss that more in, at future dates. But I, I can easily agree with you there. I mean, 
it's fun to speculate where you could go in one side of the world. But then, of course, there's always that other side. And that's, you know, free agency to the draft. It, it's fascinating to see where teams and j- not even only the Bills, because where other teams go, that may dictate where then you target in the draft because of everyone around you mm-hmm. and what they look to be doing. So, yeah, it, corner in defensive backs in general, I think your point of, you know, McDermott has a very long track record of getting the absolute most out of individuals is very big. And I think is definitely something that you could be confident then, you know, spending a first and a third, let's say on two different corners and then just really giving them an off season as quick as it may be uh, to mold into something. And then, I mean, you get a lot of playtime and and you're only going to learn how to play in this league with playtime. And it's a rare opportunity that, you know, you have a trusted veteran coming back, but then you're able to just use game time. Not that you want to, if you're a contender, but you kind of have to at this point, you can give them game time to just grow in the system so that when we do become that well-oiled machine when we need to be, I mean, that can only mean great things, hopefully. Right. Yep, 100%. I agree. I, I think it's going to be a draft position. I am with you on James Bradbury, but if they make this splurge at defensive end that I expect them to make, I would think that any veteran cornerback they would sign at this point would be more of a post-June 1st um, guy just looking to get on a team kind of thing where similar to what they did with Vontae Davis, it would obviously hopefully work out better than that. Let's just go rapid fire here. Um, Do you expect them to do anything at wide receiver? I I honestly don't. Um, I'm with you. I, I, I don't see it, especially, hey, the market got, just absolutely crazy with that Christian Kirk contract. So <laughs> it's, I, I honestly do not see anything happening at wide receiver in the free agent market, especially in a draft where you really feel like there's a lot of good weapons in it, especially at that position. So it's hard for me. You have a guy. I mean, I think I don't know if you saw the tweet earlier about uh, Juju Smith Schuster, but uh he apparently is drawing a very low amount of interest. And that's just due to the fact that a lot of teams do see this draft as weapon heavy, potentially at that position. So with where the market stands with free agency and then the draft of which we're getting into, where's the, where's the need to sign one of those guys? I'm not sure. Yeah. I, the one thing I would say is, it maybe wouldn't surprise me as if we get closer to training camp and they decide to kick the tires on Emmanuel Sanders, like, Hey, do you want to run it back for one more year? Um, but again, they have Isaiah Hodgins. that has been sitting there for two years and I know they like Jake Kumaro. Um, they have Marquez Stevenson on a second year. Um, but the one name that's interesting at receiver, and I know I said this can be rapid fire, but this probably deserves at least a little bit of a conversation is Cole Beasley is still on the roster. And that's not nothing to me, Luca. I feel like they gave, it came out of the combine that they were giving him permission to seek a trade, which nine times out of 10 in NFL lingo means you're going to be cut, but we're going to, we're going to give you the ability to keep your contract at what it is and try to find a trade partner. He's still on the roster and the bills are clearing money left and right. And one thing they haven't done is cleared Beasley as time goes on. And some of these deals get done. Is it possible that the bills look at this Beasley deal and like, you know, it's really not that bad of a contract for a guy that could be our third or fourth wide receiver that has played at an all pro level. You know, if you want to 
say that um, two years ago and, you know, start telling yourself things like, well, he was hampered by an injury last year and there were distractions with some of the stuff going on off the field with his social media. And maybe for the kind of player he is, he could still be a useful player is keeping Cole Beasley on the roster, getting him to take a pay cut that it seemed like he wasn't open to a good idea at this point. I, I'm not, I'm not opposed to it. And I think, I think it is definitely of note to say, hey, we've been clearing up all the space. We need to clear up all the space. We got to create money to maybe make that big swing at the end or whatever we're doing. And yet there he is, as you said, still on the roster. And as time keeps going, we go through the draft. If say he's still there, it's not far fetched to just say, hey, let's run it back. We might put you on a snap count. You might not get as big of a role as you did last year and definitely not as much as two years ago since you already kind of had that reduced role. But he's still a guy that knows the system. He's still a guy with a good rapport uh, with number 17. I mean, he's he's a guy that you're not going to be upset to have there. There was the off-field stuff that some people like to bring up, but in all honesty, we don't know how much that mattered inside the locker room. I don't believe. And if Josh Allen's still throwing him the ball, what does it matter? So, yeah. And that was happening. So in all with that said, yeah, absolutely. I don't see an issue with that. You would expect potentially him to be a cut candidate at any point in time. And we will not be surprised. But then again, I mean, if we're sitting here right before minicamp and he's still on the active roster, would I expect him to get cut at that point? Maybe not. And at that rate, I'm not upset about it either. We we probably should be at that point where if he's still on the roster there, there's a purpose for him. And that's good enough for me. It almost makes me wonder if, because you remember at Brandon Bean's end of season press conference, he said that he anticipated Beasley would be on the roster next year. And then that's when the reports came out at the combine, just kind of kept connecting the dots in my head. I'm wondering if what happened there was Bean went to Beasley and was like, Hey, we want to keep you, but we really feel like we, we'd rather have you at a lower number. And Beasley said, no, I'm not taking a pay cut. And Bean said, okay, well, I don't want to let you go. Um, if you think there's somebody out there that would pay you what our contract has you on, go find a trade partner and, you know, we'll, we'll let you go so you can keep your money. And maybe that's what's going on here. And as the more days go on and Beasley doesn't find a trade partner, and I'm not anticipating anything substantial coming back to the Bills in this trade, I would think like a, a late day three pick at best, maybe a, a bottom of the roster player type thing. It's, no, it's nothing that's going to move the needle for the Bills. Um, the more days that go by without this trade happening, along the same lines of what you said about Juju, is teams don't want to pay a guy like a Cole Beasley at this point $8 million a year when they can just go to the draft and find an instant impact player like an Elijah Moore that the Jets got at the top of the second round for pennies on the dollar of what you're paying Beasley. I could see him coming back, and I don't think that would have to be a bad thing unless him being back keeps McKenzie off the field because I do think McKenzie gives them a little bit more juice than Beasley at this point. Um, the last thing is we talked a little bit about running back. Do you have a favorite idea for backup quarterback at this point? I mean, it's everyone's favorite idea, right? Yeah. Everyone's favorite idea. I don't even need to say the name. Nope. And I'll, I'll let you say, cause I know you'll probably get enjoyment out of it, but it's everyone's favorite idea and what could possibly go wrong with it. Fitzpatrick is a beautiful idea. I would love to see it. It would pull at the heartstrings. And, you know, if this team did go on to win a Super Bowl, it would be amazing if, you know, Fitzpatrick was a part of that, if he had to come in and, you know, play a game for whatever reason, or just to see him on the podium there, it would be cool. 
Um, but just for the sake of talking it through, I, there's a, there's some other names out there I like. I know Marcus Mariota is a name that gets mentioned, but I truly do believe that he's probably going to get paid a decent amount of money to, to go somewhere and either compete with a quarterback that needs to prove himself or I, I mean, the Colts are still sitting there without a quarterback. So I would scratch off guys like Marcus Mariota. Um, I, one name I think of is Kyle Allen. Checks a lot of boxes for me for what I'm looking at. He's starred a lot of games in the league. Um, so that's a good thing. So, you know, if he goes into a situation where he has to play for a couple games in a row, he's not going to be overwhelmed by that. Um, he has some ties to Carolina, which I don't remember if that overlaps with Dorsey or not. And that's a bad job by me. So that would have been 2019. Dorsey was already on the, I'm going to talk slowly here. When did Ken Dorsey become the Bills quarterback coach? Um, but he also is friends with Josh Allen because they they work out together with Jordan Palmer, um, with Sam Darnold and those guys. Um, in 2020, I don't know when Dorsey was there. I don't know if it crosses over or not, but they also just hired um, today as an assistant coach, um, Mike Shula from Carolina. So I could see their ties there. But I really think that thing about being friends with Josh Allen, it's not nothing. That That vibe in the room, that quarterback room, it's not like, the offensive line room where there's 10 players in there, right? There's, there's three guys in there. And as the season goes on, you know, you want a guy that has experience. You want a guy that vibes with the guy. That's the guy that's the quarterback. And you don't want somebody that's itching to play to where he's going to be doing something at the expense of the starter, which at this point, Josh Allen has graduated to the point where he doesn't have to look over his shoulder at anybody. But I think getting a guy in there who is friends with him, that has the same trainer as him, um, has starting experience, I think it makes a lot of sense. And you look at some of these contracts that backup quarterbacks are going for. I think Chase Daniel got $2 million today. I think you could lock in Kyle Allen for that and feel pretty good about your number two. But yeah, obviously, Fitzpatrick's number one in that ranking. Yeah, I, the the free agency market when it comes to quarterbacks is very slim. And I, I I'm not even sure where to go there. I wouldn't want them to spend any notable amount of money to go there. Um, It's something that we could even address day three of the draft, right? And I don't necessarily think that's a great plan when it comes to, you know, having a plan if 17 went down. But let's be honest, if 17 goes down, we're not really concerned about winning games at that point because 17's not there. Yeah. So what what is worth spending money to put someone there not much and i do think your point on someone that is friendly with josh allen someone that is friends with him someone that wants to be there with him and and we saw him on vacation with i I believe he was the fourth guy with allen kirk uh christian kirk that is yeah and uh sam darnold so there is something to say there when it comes to bringing a guy in that wants to be here and be with him and spend every day at work with him and is very okay with accepting the fact that our superstar, the best quarterback in the league is the one he sits behind. Mm-hmm. And yeah, I think someone like a Jameis Winston probably is still wanting to, to be the guy somewhere, which you understand. I think that makes a lot of sense. One thing, you know, we're, we're going long tonight, so I don't know how much we want to kick stuff around the league, but one topic we need to cover because it will almost certainly be settled by the time we get on the air again. Uh, the Deshaun Watson situation, it, to me, it's going to be a domino effect. I think it's going to fill in a lot of gaps of what teams are doing at quarterbacks. Um, you look at a team like the Panthers, the Saints, the Falcons, they're, they're apparently in on it too. 
I get the vibe that the Colts are just kind of waiting to swoop in on whatever team gets Watson. If it's say it's the Browns, which it doesn't sound like it's going to be the Browns, they might swoop in and try to get Mayfield. Or if it's the Falcons, they might swoop in and try to get Ryan. So I think once we figure out where Watson's going, it will the rest of the dominoes will fall into place, and you'll see guys like the Winstons and the Mariota start to get jobs. Do you even let's take a look at this from like a Bills point of view? Do you have a preference? where Watson goes and doesn't matter at all to the bills. I assume it would, we'd, we'd all want it to be out of the AFC. Yeah. I mean, the, the three names you threw out there that it seems he's linked to are all NFC and I am a okay with that. Um, I loved the fact that uh, someone had said that the Colts called the Texans and were like, Hey, would you be willing to work with us? And they just flat out said, no. Yeah. Love it. And in, in what world would you ever do that inner division? And but hey, Colts tried. But r- r- going back to it, yeah, Saints, Panthers, uh, Falcons. I, I would have no preference out of all of those. Something just to not get too off track. Obviously, that's with the Bills standpoint. Off track. Love to see him go to the Falcons. Maybe Matt Ryan goes to the Colts. That'd be kind of fun, but uh, not necessarily great for the bills either. Cause then you all of a sudden have Matt Ryan on the Colts and Hey, maybe he has a little bit of a resurgence there. Not great for the bills. Yeah. Um, that, I'm with you. I, to me, the downstream effect is you don't want the Colts to be another team that has a, a, to me, the Colts don't need a superstar quarterback. They're scary. If they just have a competent quarterback and I don't want them getting Matt Ryan. I don't want them getting Baker Mayfield. I get your Gardner Minshew, get your Marcus Mariota and go be a 500 team. I, I think if they got a Matt Ryan, or if they found their way to even Baker Mayfield, I think they could be pretty scary. Uh, 100%. All right. Well, we have talked a lot about what the Bills have done. We talked a little bit around the league. Just real quickly before we get into our game, is there anything that jumped out to you around the NFL, teams that impressed you, teams that didn't impress you, anything so far that stands out? The amount of spending that the Chargers, and I'm trying to think who else it was. Jacksonville? Jacksonville. The amount of spending that those two teams have gone out with and the fact that we are talking about the Chargers and the Jaguars, yeah, two teams in polar opposite fields when it comes to competitiveness. It's fascinating. You have the Chargers. They are all in on Herbert. You would have to imagine. And the fact that they understand that and they're like, holy shit, we're going to have to pay him really soon. So let's just dump a boatload of cash everywhere else we possibly can. Let's win now. And then we'll deal with the quarterback contract. And then what that means towards our cap and money and all that later makes total sense. Then you have the Jaguar Jaguars. I mean, they have a rookie contract at quarterback should be a great quarterback, hopefully for them. Um, But then they're just throwing money everywhere and you have good signings like Brendan Sheriff. Great, great signing. I mean, you have to obviously show that he is the best offensive lineman in the free agency market. And he landed there. That's going to instantly make an impact on their line. But then you have paying Christian Kirk, what they did. And that's just a head scratch. I love Kirk. I think Christian Kirk is a dynamic player in this league. And it's just overlooked all the time when he was in Arizona. And it's a shame, but that was a lot of money. That that was just, you has to be too much money. And then you let DJ Chark walk because of that. Just mind boggling to me. And then 
Miles Jack walking from them as well. It, those are the two teams I looked at and I was like, wow, you have the Denver stuff with, you know, Russell Wilson getting traded there and all that fun stuff, which just the AFC West became this year's NFC West, which is awesome. It's going to be, that's great. In my opinion, as a Bills fan, like that is, you want that division. Look at what happened to the NFC West. Your division winner was the four seed. Your second place was the five seed and your third place was the six seed. They all just got stuck right there, right? Just keep them away. Keep them away from everyone else. It was perfect. You know, the thing with the Jaguars that I don't know what to think about them. It feels almost like that they, they got a credit card for the first time. They had all this cap space to spend and they wanted to go out and do it. But what's interesting is when, when you follow the draft, their two biggest needs are considered to be edge and offensive tackle. And they went out and spent an ungodly amount of money. And yet we still have no idea with what they're going to do at the top pick in the draft because they didn't get an offensive tackle or an edge. So it's a great point. I think I, I've heard that they're going to be in on um, the, the offensive tackle from new Orleans. I don't know why his name's escaping me right now. Um, Is it, Taron Armstead? Yeah, Taron Armstead. I've heard that they'd be in on him, but he wanted to slow play his market and see what's out there. And that would be a clue. Like maybe then they would be more in on edge in the draft. Or maybe they're a team that swoops in and says, hey, Chandler Jones, here's $20 million. And then they break break our heart. But I don't get the vibe that he wants to go to a team that's going to lose. But on the other hand, I kind of respect what they're doing because we've been that bad team in the past where you know you have to overpay to get guys here. And it just seemed like a lot of times that the bills wouldn't do that. And then they'd come out and talk about how much, how, how smart they are with their money. They don't want to get into bidding wars. Like, yes, I understand. Evan Ingram, probably not worth $10 million a year. Christian Kirk. We talked about him before free agency started. Nice player, solid player, not what they paid him. Zay Jones making 10 million a year. What are we doing? Um, (laughs) Sure. Solid. I liked it. Um, But you know, are you better with Zay Jones over DJ Chark? I don't think so. Maybe I, I, I wouldn't think so. I, I like what I'd rather have the upside of Chark. Um, it also feels like maybe they're going to let Chenault go. And when you stack up those two, would you rather have Kirk and Zay Jones or Chenault and Chark? Uh, I kind of feel like I'd rather have rather have Chenault and Chark. Um, I, I'm happy that they're spending money, and I'm happy that they're trying and. I, I felt the frustration in your voice and I have it too. When you were like, Trevor Lawrence should be great because I know we both hate when great quarterbacks get wasted in shitty situations. And it feels like that's maybe what's happening with Trevor Lawrence. So the fact that they're at least trying to put weapons around him and build up the offensive line, I applaud them for that because I don't want to see him become the next David Carr where he has great talent, but he gets killed every game. And all of a sudden he's out of the league in five years and it robbed all of us of seeing the next great talent. The chargers, you were 100% on. They are taking advantage of Herbert's contract. I love it. And hey, they're in the division with the big dog. Say what you want to about the Bengals going to the Super Bowl. I still think the Chiefs are the team, you know, all due respect to our Bills, until we beat them in the playoffs. The Chiefs are the team that scares everybody in the AFC. And the Chargers are like, we're not scared. We're going to go toe-to-toe with you. We beat you in Arrowhead last year. Come deal with Khalil Mack. Come deal with J.C. Jackson. On the other side of things, the one team I don't understand is the Colts. They have what I think is a good roster. I'm not telling them to go out and get reckless, but they've lost Kloinski. They've resigned a couple of their special teamers, 
and they've done nothing. Now, maybe this interaction between Chandler Jones and um, and their linebacker on on um, Twitter is a sign that Chandler Jones is going to the Colts. I don't know. I'd kind of doubt it, without especially without knowing who the quarterback is. But to me, this is the second year in a row where the Colts have gone into the offseason with some of the most cap room in the entire league, and they just don't really spend it. And I'm not telling you you have to be free spenders like the Jaguars where nobody's going to beat your price, but you have a team that missed the playoffs because they lost to Jacksonville Week 17, and they were the team, Luca, I know you remember this, nobody wanted to see in the playoffs. We were sitting there thinking a couple of weeks out, I don't want to see the Colts, not with Jonathan Taylor, not with that O-line, not with what their defense can do to the Bills with their disguised coverages. That's a team that, despite the fact that they don't have a quarterback, I think they're going to try to find their way to one, I would assume, that I think they should be going for it, and they are just being very conservative with their money, and I don't understand it. I don't understand what's going on in Indianapolis right now. Maybe they're saving all of their cap money to make a splash on a quarterback. I just don't know where that splash is at that point, particularly if they've been boxed out of the Deshaun Watson sweepstakes. Yeah, I mean, I go back to the idea of Matt Ryan with the Colts. Um, it, it, that would be the only reason and not that he would demand a lot of money if he was released, but if you have to trade for Matt Ryan, we obviously know what that contract is. And that is a lot of money to be tied up into Matt Ryan right now, but that would make sense for the Colts. They have it there. They have it sitting there. They can do it. They have the team already built there to go around him. They don't need to do anything to help him. I mean, you need a guy who is really good at taking the snap and handing it off to Jonathan Taylor about 25 to 30 times a game. That's Matt Ryan can do that. You might be paying a lot for it, but Matt Ryan can do it. And then he can, you know, hit you over top once in a while. Cause he does like to throw the ball and he's pretty dang good at it still. Yeah. But, uh, go ahead. No, I agree. I think he's the perfect fit for what they need in Indy too. Cause they just need somebody to come in and not throw interceptions with their left hand and tort, tear two ACLs on the same play. Like that's what they need. By the way, while we were recording Baker Mayfield basically wrote a goodbye tweet to Cleveland. So that's something. Ooh. Ooh. I know there's going to be one person listening to this podcast. Shout out to them. They know who they are. He will love that. He will love that. And I'm sure he will have a tweet that I would not be able to publicize, but it will talk about it. We'll say, you know, I don't want to turn into Colin Coward with the analogies here because I already used the analogy earlier about um, Walking Dead. But to me, if you just follow Ben Albright, he seems pretty plugged into this Deshaun Watson thing. He's been saying all along that Watson has no interest in going to Cleveland. Like he wants to play in a warm weather city. He he wants to play in a in a team that is set up the way he likes, and that just nothing about Cleveland that appeals to him. And yet, Cleveland is making it abundantly clear that they are interested in him. And it almost has the vibe to me, like somebody that's in a relationship and they have a girlfriend or a boyfriend and they just want out of the relationship, but they don't want to pull the trigger and be the one to break up with them. So they do stupid things like try to get caught cheating, even though they're not really cheating, but like, oh, oops, I'm at the movie with this girl. I guess you better break up with me now. It almost feels like Cleveland's just trying to piss off Baker to the point where he asks for his way out. And I wonder how much of that is like, 
they were, you know, as much as we sat through the 17 year drought, Cleveland was right there with us. They were horrendous up until Baker got there. They hadn't been to the playoffs since 2002 and hadn't won a playoff game since coming back as an expansion team after the original Browns left for Baltimore. And then here comes Baker Mayfield shows up. He's rookie of the year. And then in his third year, he's taking them to the playoffs. And as much as we hate new England, they hate Pittsburgh for the exact same reasons wins a playoff game in Pittsburgh. Imagine what that felt like for them. And now here they are the next year and he's on the way out of town. Just what a fall from grace. Another reason just to get on your knees at night and thank anybody you want to that we have Josh Allen and it's worked out. But I could imagine in Cleveland why that's a tough thing for the Browns to try to sell is we're not sold on this guy who seemingly pulled us out of this two-decade sludge we were in. And I give them credit for not being sold on him because I think they have a borderline excellent roster and it's being held back by their quarterback. What do you think? Yeah, I mean, it's crazy. It, it Baker Mayfield, uh, as I know a lot of people that I are in my social circle, we'll call it, is not someone they care for. I honestly have always still had this kind of, I, I like Baker Mayfield. I, I, I always root for him to succeed. I don't think it's working. I think I acknowledge that it's not working. I think that if Cleveland was smart, they wouldn't pay him. I wouldn't pay Baker Mayfield if I was Cleveland. But at the same time, you, it's I like to root for him. I mean, going into that draft, Baker Mayfield, even before he was projected as the number one quarterback, was the guy that I targeted as my favorite quarterback. Mm-hmm. Number two was Josh Allen. Not a big deal. <laughs> uh, but um, it, it's just it's so hard to see this happen the way it's happening. And I'm with you that when you mentioned Deshaun Watson, I don't see Deshaun Watson going to Cleveland. I mean, Cleveland has a reputation of where you go to die. Yeah. I mean, it's they had a roster that was so good on paper and they did nothing with it this year. And and that doesn't mean that they were a bad team because they weren't an awful team. It's just they did nothing because in the sense they should have made a they should have made the playoffs and they didn't. They didn't make the playoffs. That's crazy. And with the roster they had, I mean, you had Jadavion Clowney and you had Miles Garrett and you had the, the entire defense that they did, which was very good. And then you had the two-headed monster of a backfield, potentially the best one-two punch in the backfield in the NFL, where you don't need your quarterback to do a whole hell of a lot. And you could not make that work. It's a shame. It's a real shame. And then the, the the going on to Cleveland, not to go on too much of a rant, but they trade for Amari Cooper and then are going to cut Jarvis Landry shortly after when the previous year they just cut Odell Beckham Jr. for understandable reasons or however you want to look at that, you know, that that both sides were just not working out. They needed to separate so on and so forth. What are they doing? I, I just don't I don't get it. I. The Cleveland confuses me and I, I feel bad for the fans because how you brought it up. I mean, Cleveland to Pittsburgh was the bills to the Patriots during the 2000s and 2010s. I mean, and in Cleveland and Pittsburgh, it, it, it's, it's just horrible if you're a Cleveland fan and you watched all those years of success with not only Pittsburgh, but then Baltimore where your, your actual team moved to, and then you got handed another one that can't do anything. Right. You got you got the uh, what do you call it? The off brand toy 
coming into town that can't do anything for you because the nice shiny one moved away and right. is having success there. And that's in your division. Oh, I I feel for them. I really do. You know, I'll joke to side and and of course you gotta poke fun. It's it's the Rust Belt family. I I and I know maybe you don't have that same feeling towards them, so it's easier for you to understand and feel bad for them. But when you're on the Rust Belt with you, you know, there's Buffalo, there's Cleveland, there's uh, you know, right down through Ohio, Detroit, right up into Michigan. I mean, it and it's perfect that all of those teams kind of fit a similar, obviously, thank God the Bills are no longer a bad team. Yeah. But it, it, it's funny. <clears throat> excuse me. It's funny that all those teams and the fan bases kind of fit a similar mold and you just got to feel for it. You got it. And I, I was reading that uh, post that you are mentioning or you mentioned. Um, and there's one line. I have no clue what happens next, which is the meaning behind the silence I have had for the duration during the duration of the, this process. I can only control what I can. That says everything to me. That is the goodbye part of that. That is, you know, and of course he goes on to talk about he's given this franchise everything he has and so on and so forth. That is the goodbye. I'm, I'm with you 100%. That is, he knows something that the Browns have told him that he doesn't want to publicize and he's doing it in a classy way, I'll say. You know, I, I'm okay with this kind of letter. I, I think that's a good way to handle it. Um. But yeah, he knows something. And then going back to it, what are the Browns doing? Because I don't see them landing Deshaun Watson. Hey, if they land Deshaun Watson, that's a serious problem for the Bills and good on Cleveland for somehow pulling that one. I mean, if they get Deshaun Watson, the Browns are in the conversation with the Bills and the Chiefs. I don't think it's even a question. Oh, my goodness. Um, Yeah, the Baker Mayfield thing has been so incredibly interesting to track because of how well he started off. I know you were high on him when he came out of the draft. I liked him. Um, and again, I've, I've been wrong many times. My issue with him was kind of what ended up happening was I thought he was the most finished product coming out. And I thought that he had the best chance to hit the ground running. And he did. And then I, I just, I saw the ceiling. Now what's weird is if he had just been nothing more than that rookie year Baker Mayfield and that had been his career, he'd be fine. Like he came into the league and he was basically a top 12, top 15 quarterback right out of the box. And if that's all he was going to be the rest of his career, that's fine. I mean, it's not the superstar top five quarterback you hope for when you pick number one, but you'd live with that. Um, he regressed and he he started making more mistakes and the Browns didn't do him any favors with the coaching turnover they had. And then they finally put that big roster around him and they made the playoffs and then it all fell apart. What a disaster. What a disaster for Browns fans. I, I know you said, I feel bad for them. I, I feel bad for the fan base to a point. I will say I've been to, uh, I mentioned the stadiums I've been to before my experience in Cleveland, when I went to the bills game, which was the blizzard game back in 2008, um, was the worst experience I had as a road fan ever. Um, fans were incredibly, <laughs> on the verge of violence and maybe I should give them a pass because we were all in a bad mood because the game was just ruined by a blizzard. But ever since that day, I have taken joy in watching bad things happen to Cleveland teams, but still putting yourself through the bills lens of if we had that pick and we had the the quarterback show up after two decades of quarterback incompetence and he shows up and wins rookie of the year, 
we would be doing nothing but talking ourselves into the fact that he was great, even when signs were showing that it wasn't. Heck, I will raise my hand and say I talked myself into EJ Manuel until it was no longer possible to talk yourself into him. Everybody has that Bills quarterback that you were like, ah, maybe he's good. I mean, 200 yards is pretty good, right? Um, Baker Mayfield's not a bum. I think he's a top 32 quarterback. He's probably a top 25 quarterback. You put him on a team like the Colts, I think he could do really well. Um, but I don't think when you pick number one, you want the quarterback to be the guy that's carrying the team. And right now, I think Baker Mayfield's much more of a guy that can can run a nice team. I and mean, really, the last couple of years, he's had a nice team and hasn't been able to run that. It seems like a clean break is best for everybody involved. And it's just unfortunate that the Browns really thought they had finally found their answer and had the guy that took down the big bad Steelers. And now it seems like they're back to square one. We'll have to track that and see what happens there. But we have our own misery. We survived, Luca. We survived a 17-year drought. (laughs) And right now, I want to play a game with you. We're going to have a draft because that 17-year draft drought, excuse me, was not all misery. There were some good times. There were some games that were enjoyable, and right now we are going to draft our favorite wins, the biggest wins from the 17-year playoff drought. So just in case you're scoring at home, that's the 2000 season through the 2016 season. So anything that happened Sean McDermott's first year doesn't count because that season ended in a playoff berth, kind of. Um, Very forgettable (laughs) game against Jacksonville, but awesome ending with Cincinnati and Baltimore, which it is kind of fitting that up until Josh Allen showed up, my favorite Bills memory was a game between the Ravens and the Bengals, but we won't even get into that. Um, So Luca, you had this genius idea. So what we're going to do at the end of every show is we're going to have a draft where we, we go snake and we draft our teams and we're going to have a top three and whoever has the best team wins. We're going to talk through our choices, but how do we decide who picks first? Luca, you had a great idea. So why don't you tell, tell the people what that idea was. Just a real simple idea. Uh, and it'll, I, hopefully it'll change, you know, whether it's yourself or myself giving it, but just a simple trivia question that absolutely one of us did not tell the other up until this point. And within a reasonable time, we'll try to answer whoever, you know, if that person were to answer correct, they get choice. If not, the other individual would, you know, just classic backyard football rules, first pick or second two. However, we want to do this. So I am ready to hear what you got for me. All right. Let me, let me figure this out. The rules here. I I think we talked about 30 seconds as the rule, right? So I'm going to have a timer here. Are you allowed multiple guesses? Like if I said, who's the starting quarterback of the Buffalo Bills? And you were like, um, Mitch Trubisky. No, um, Cardale (laughs) Jones. No, Josh Allen. But if you got it within 30 seconds, is that right? Or is it first, first time you get a guess wrong, you're done. Oh, you, I, so you can talk through it. Mm-hmm. You you can kind of, that would be your way to maybe get multiple answers, but you have to give a definitive answer and you're only allowed to give one. Okay. So I will tell you when the time's up, are you ready? And we agreed that these have to be gettable questions, right? So like, I'm not going to sit here and be like, Luca, who was the bill's second string punter back in 1965? Um, so we will be fighting with each other if we feel like these are not gettable, but I think this one's gettable. <laughs> I think you're probably going to get it, but we'll see what happens. So here's the question, Luca. In 2018, we were just talking about Baker Mayfield. The Bills drafted a quarterback, maybe you've heard of him, by the name of Joshua Patrick Allen in the first round. After that pick, they went on to draft four defensive players in a row before they finally drafted another offensive player. I'm hitting start on the timer now. Who was that offensive player? 
man. The next offensive player, 2018. Oh, geez. Um, yeah, that's a tough one. I, I'll be honest. That is a very, very tough one. If I had to guess, it's probably someone that's not flashy. It's not someone that's a position, like a skill position. I get, I'm going to give you a hint and say um, it's definitely somebody you've heard of. Yeah. A talking point among, amongst oh. Nels fans. So the funniest part is I have one name in my head, and I'm going to give it to you in about a second. But it's only funny because I'm going to also stipulate that I believe that this individual is no longer on the roster, even though it's 2018. Mm-hmm. And I'm going to go ahead. Up. Wyatt Teller. Boom. You got it. Good job. Oh, man. Beautiful. I will take second two. I'll let you have the first pick on this one. Okay. Just because I'm hoping to hear the one that I think you'll say. No, I don't think you are. Okay, Dang. I wanted to pick second because I think <laughs> I think the one, and I, I think we need to talk through our decisions here, right? So we're we're drafting the best Bills wins of the drought. I think there's a game that most people are going to think of as the best Bills win, and it's not going to be my number one. And before I get into my first pick off the board, I'm going to tell you how my criteria for this was. How did I feel after that game? How That's confident important. was I in the team? And so I think by default, and when you're in a 17-year playoff drought, by the time the end of the season rolls around, some of those wins are a little hollow. I mean, there were some wins in there that cost us Cam Newton, and it was like, stop winning games. <laughs> um, that You know, 0-8 in 2010, then they go 4-4 four and four down the stretch, and we don't get Cam Newton. That's wonderful. Thanks, Bills. Those were some cool wins there. Um, so... I think some of my choices are going to skew earlier in the season. It's how good did that win make me feel? Was there real belief? So I don't think I have your top choice. Maybe I do. I'm going to go back to 2003. Ooh. Opening day, the Buffalo Bills beat the New England Patriots 31 to nothing. And for those of you youngins out there that don't understand the backstory, here's what had happened. In 2002, the year before, at the draft, the Bills traded for Drew Bledsoe from the Patriots. Tom Brady, maybe you've heard of him, showed up in 2001 when Bledsoe got hurt, took the Patriots all the way to the Super Bowl, and then Bledsoe got traded to the Bills. And at the time, it was like, oh my God, what is Belichick doing? He's giving a division rival a star quarterback. And Bledsoe in 2002 was excellent for like half the season. And then he tailed off a little bit, but at the end of the year, his numbers were there. It was like, we finally have a quarterback that defense stinks. If we could just fix the defense, we could, we could be a good team, but there's two games in that 2002 season that stood out. There was the first home game against new England where it was like, okay, the bills were five and three. They were coming in hot. They had a better record than new England and Bledsoe was going to smash his old team. No, the bills lost 38 to seven and it was embarrassing. And then a few weeks later, they go to Foxborough. They lose 38 to 28. Also embarrassing. It wasn't even that close. Bledsoe had four picks. They scored a garbage time touchdown late to Eric Molds, by the way. A one-handed catch, no big deal. Um, but it was no big deal because the game was out of hand. They lost. They did not make the playoffs. But the theme of the offseason was, man, this offense is ready. Their offense is ready. It's legit. We just need a defense, and we can beat the Patriots. And they went out. They signed Takeo Spikes. They signed Sam Adams. They got Dick LeBeau, who had been fired from the uh, the Bengals as their head coach. And he was actually an assistant on that staff that year, which was pretty cool. And then right before the season started, 
They signed Lawyer Malloy, who was cut a week before the season started. This defense also had guys like Nate Clements, Pat Williams, Antoine Winfield. They were loaded. They also had London Fletcher. Aaron Schobel was there. Um, the defense was loaded, but it was like, okay, are they really going to be this good? Is it just this good on paper? When that game came out on the schedule on April, it was like, that's the perfect team to play week one because they smashed us last year. They were the chiefs to us now. They were the measuring stick. We had to get over them. They were humbling us in 2002. We show up in 2003 after months of hype, months of talking about, can the Bills finally beat the Patriots? And they don't just beat them, Luca. They smash them 31 to nothing. The Bills go right down on the first drive. Boom, touchdown. Uh, Patriots go three and out. I think Spikes had a big pass breakup. Next drive, boom, touchdown, 14 to nothing. Sam Adams, interception for a touchdown. Bills win 31 to nothing. At the end of that game, you could have told me the Bills were going to win the Super Bowl, and I would have believed you. You could have told me the Bills weren't going to win the Super Bowl, and I wouldn't have believed you. I was so hyped. It felt like a plan had come together, and it was the best experience I'd had up until that point as a Bills fan, and it is my number one pick off the board. What do you think? I mean, that's exactly where I thought you were going. Okay. Um, <laughs> yeah. I mean, it, it, it's, it is the, you know, I, I use this analogy before it's the crown jewel of the drought wins. It, it, it really is that game, you know, and as a kid, that game was something even then I understood the impact of and how amazing it was. I wasn't at that game. Uh, I was watching it at my aunt and uncle's house as my parents were at that game. You know, my, my parents came home, uh, came technically over to my aunt and uncle's house and they were elated. The world was so bright and awesome. Yeah. It's, that's, it's the crown jewel. It's it's the best one. I think you did perfectly with everything. You went into a great detail, by the way, that I am definitely not going to go into. No, that's fine. Um, I, I felt like I, I was going to have to justify it because I thought there was a better, better <laughs> game on the board that most people would have thought of. I will say very quickly. Um, for those that don't know, the Bills didn't do anything that year. They ended up only winning six games. <laughs> and then week 17, they lost in New England, also 31 to nothing. So the game that the, class. the game that felt amazing week one ended up just being a hilarious footnote in what ended up being another New England Patriots Super Bowl season. And to me, that compares very favorably to the Monday night game from this year where New England wins the win game against Buffalo. And at the time, it felt like, what a big game for New England. They they already passed the Bills. They have a quarterback again. No, no. The rest of the season told us it was just a fluky game that was cool for one night, but really the better team was the team that lost that one fluky game. Anyway. Yeah, you just you gotta hit the record scratch button. You're wondering how I got here, you know, that kind of thing. Um yeah, so I think I know what you're thinking of when it comes to the next game, but I'm actually going to save that one maybe. And, you know, I'll, lo- I'll love to hear if this is the one you were thinking of. But my number two pick, actually because of the similar criteria, although I take season impact. So my top pick for the record was also 31 nothing. Nice. Just because it was the game. But my criteria was similar in a sense of how did it make me feel afterwards, the impact it meant during that season, so on and so forth. And this one might be a little surprising, but I think it's mainly due to how big of an impact and how surprising it was at the time to be where we were. And I'll get into that in a second. It's going to be a lot more recent than that. It is 2014 week 15. Mm, That was my number two pick. You the man. Oh, beautiful. It is us beating the Packers 21-13 at 
ending on a safety, I believe, by the way. I think we tackled Eddie Lacy in the end zone to finish that 21-13. So it was 19-13 at one point. But um, that is a year and a game that I had no idea after the initial 2-2 two and two start. EJ Manuel has that embarrassing game in, t- in Texas, in the Houston, sorry, with uh, against the Texans. And we're, it's like, what are we doing? EJ Manuel's the bust that everyone expected. You know, we're nowhere and we are going nowhere. And this is going to be just one of those classic six and 10 years or whatever it may end up being that is just pointless. In steps Kyle Orton. And all of a sudden, he puts together a couple games. I think in the middle of that season was a comeback against Minnesota at home, mm-hmm. if memory serves me right. There was kind of a little bit of a comeback there. Sammy that- Watkins touchdown at the buzzer. That's right. Yep. Okay. So my memory is pretty dang good. And then to really be in the playoff mix, we go into this home game. Uh, it was a home game, correct? Correct. Sure game. Yep. Um, and it, it was the, what, 10 and three Packers. And there's no way we beat the Packers. I mean, it's Aaron Rodgers. It's everything that they are. Eddie Lacy at the time, as funny as it is thinking now, he was a legitimate running back. And, and we, this is not a game we win. And we honestly controlled the game for the majority of the second half. I mean, you could even say we controlled the game for the majority of the game. And I, I just looked it up real quick. Eddie Lacy was tackled in the end zone to finish that game off right underneath the two minute warning. And um, it was beautiful. And we, at, at that point, the game ends. And I really feel like we're about to go to Oakland at the time mm-hmm. and beat the Raiders. And we would be in a position to make the playoffs end the drought because there was no way the Patriots were going to play their starters, which I don't believe they did week 17. And we ended up winning that game. Not that it mattered anymore at the time. And unfortunately, obviously we know what happened with that Oakland game, but that was my number two pick that, that, that game really, it was one of the first times in a while where you were like, Holy crap, late in the year, we actually have a legitimate chance at this. You hit, all of the talking points in that game. One, nobody expected the Bills to win. Two, when you're when you're getting to the end of the season and the Bills going into that game were were seven and six, so they, you knew they had to win out. But like you said, even though that New England game was looming, that it was a uh, oh my god, they're going to sit Brady. We're going to get the New England backups, and it's not like they're scared of the Bills making the playoffs. So we're going to get in. Um, and then Oakland was a bad team. Derek Carr's rookie year, they were not a good team. So it was. Man, this this Packer game, if we just didn't have to play the Packers, we'd make the playoffs. Beating the Packers, it was like, holy shit. We cleared the biggest hurdle. And then, of course, they laid the egg in Oakland. Yeah, which, looking back and everything, it, it was Kyle Orton coming in, just kind of giving it a last hurrah. Yeah. It, was I upset about it at the end initially? Sure. Am I upset about it now? In absolutely no fashion. Because... I mean, what did you expect to happen? I mean, this is, there's a reason Kyle Orton was at the point of his career where he was playing for us. The thing about the timing of that pick, though, is by that time, because, you know, in 2002 or 2003, it was year three of the drought, but it wasn't even a drought at that point. It was just you haven't made the playoffs for a couple of years. Big deal. By the time that game was around, what was it 2014? You're in 2014. You're in the 14th year of a drought. So it is the anchor <laughs> that is holding your fandom down. So at that point, 
You don't care if it's Kyle Orton. You don't care if it's EJ Manuel. You don't care if it's four blocked field goals that get you in. You just want to get in and you can lose 70 to nothing in the first round. It doesn't matter. Just get me out of this misery that is the graphic that shows the Bills have the longest drought. And man, it sure felt like on that day they were going to get out of it. I like that pick. Who's your second pick? All right. So for my second pick, the third pick overall, this one is going to kind of come out of left field. So it's not the game you're thinking of. I would almost certainly imagine. I cannot believe that this is the game you're thinking of. It's actually not leading into a legitimate playoff chance, but it's when I in that season was like, they are a team that is possibly about to make a run. And it was a really fun game to watch. 2004 week 13 against Miami. Ter- right. Terrence McGee opening kickoff. Boom. That is my first point. Terrence McGee. Oh, sorry. I didn't mean to step the- on you. Yeah, you're good. Terrence McGee opens the game with a 104 house call. Absolutely dominates. And the best part is the last score of the game is the classic Pat Williams pick six. Mm-hmm. Oh, it was just, it was one of those games from start to finish. You loved watching. It got close. If I remember, I remember the dolphins came within a single score and I want to say it was even within two or three and it was late in the game. And you're like, and you, you were uh, nervous, but you're not upset. It was just a very fun game to watch. They sealed the deal with that Pat Williams pick six. It's right in the middle of what eventually became that late season surge of which we almost Came in through the back door to make the postseason. There's obviously a game we might talk about at a future date. <laughs> yeah, cause that to not happen. But we'll be uh, a very high pick at some point. Because <laughs> I know both you and I have very fond memories of that game uh, in our own unique ways. But it was that was the game in in the fashion of which we won it and how it went all transpired and what had happened. You were like, we are a complete team that is possible of making a run, and we really could get back to the playoffs. We, I, I like as a kid, I just was like, this team's doing it. We're getting back to the playoffs. That was also just fun fact. When my love affair of Terrence McGee started, I, I Terrence McGee was one of my favorite players. One of my, is one of my favorite bills players of all time, just because of that game and that opening kickoff and just really enhanced his status. Oh, he was a stud. That game was so interesting because the Dolphins were a terrible team that year. I believe that was the year that Ricky Williams bailed on them in training camp so he could go smoke pot. And um, they were one in nine, I believe, something like that. And it was one of those games where as that 2004 season went on and the Bills started getting momentum, it wasn't too hard to look at the rest of the schedule and say, man, there's a lot of games they can win. They have to win them all. But really, outside of a trip to Cincinnati and then the last game of the year against Pittsburgh, which some people thought that Pittsburgh would play some backups, um, like they really could they could win. And then, as you mentioned, that Dolphins game got close, but it was, it was an offensive shootout, which we had not seen much of out of those bills at that point in Bledsoe's career. So it was, it was nice to see. I, I like that pick quite a bit. It didn't make my list, but... I definitely remember it, and I definitely enjoyed that game quite a bit. All right. What do you got for us? All right. Well, I'm going to pick the one that I thought was going to be the number one off the board. I think it's a little bit overrated, but at some at this point, it's just too good a value to pass up. It's going to be the Fitz Scream game against New England. Oh, uh, yeah. Um, to me, I never believed in that team. I just I can't believe in Chan Gailey. I, I just never did. And as much as I loved Fitzpatrick – 
it was just at that point I had kind of turned into bitter bills fan where it just always felt like we were going to be the team that like had some fun players, but at the end of the day, the the good teams are going to be like, that's cute. Um, you know, whatever, like congrats on your little September win, but when the games matter, you're going to lose. So at that point I was a little bit jaded, but man, we had not beaten new England since 31 to nothing at that point. And making sure I have that right. Yes. I had to think through it in my head. Um, <laughs> since 31 to nothing in 2003. And this game absolutely mattered. And what was scary about this game is the Bills came out of the gates and they got their doors blown off. It was like one Gronkowski touchdown, another Gronkowski touchdown. And the Bills had no answers for New England. And when you look back at this game, Patriots were the better team, and it really wasn't close, but the Bills had some really good bounces go their way. And then I just remember, the thing I remember most about this game, there, you know, there's some plays in there, the Drayton Florence interception down to the one-yard line and Fred Jackson not scoring. But I just remember about this game, at the very end, the Bills are at the, like, the two-yard line, and they're setting up for a field goal as time goes off the clock. And we are just so used to to New England beating us, that the feeling we had was something's going to go wrong. They're going to block the kick. Um, he's going to miss it. You know, you're just, you're still like, we had been beaten down so bad. You were just waiting to see how this movie was going to end against us. And when the kick went through, it was just such a, a relief and maybe even disbelief that I don't even know if I was as excited as I was just like sitting there taking it all in. And it was much needed. I didn't really have dreams of that team doing anything special. I think I maybe have talked myself into them potentially ending the playoff drought. I talked myself into a lot of Bills teams doing that. And then they always broke my heart down the stretch. But um, that was a really, really fun day. And anytime you can get um, Patriots blood on your hands, especially during those days with Tom Brady and you know the teams we were rolling out there, it was nice because it didn't happen very often. And that one was, was a lot of fun to watch. Yeah, great value pick. First and foremost, it's it's one of those games where, you know, with what we're doing here, you know, what we're drafting upon does not fulfill the criteria of which we talked about. Yeah. But I I think you at one point described it perfectly. It was one of those games that after the field goal happened, after the win happened, you just sat there and you reflected like and it just it felt, you know, that flush feeling where all of a sudden it feels like everything's just draining out of you, all that stress, all that. And you just sit there and you get to just sit in silence almost and enjoy yourself for a second. And it really lifted a lot of pain and misery and everything else that at that time, I mean, those Bills teams in that time were, oh, yeah. I mean, geez. So it was one of those ones that in there, it's it's kind of like hitting that, you know, to give a golf analogy here, you're having a bad round, you, you're, you tripled the first, you doubled the second, maybe you squeezed a couple pars in there, it's just not your day, and then you just absolutely flush a five iron onto the pin for an eagle chance. It's that one shot yeah. that keeps you coming back, and you're just like, damn, that felt fucking good. Yeah, 100%. And what was nice about that Bills team is, for years, the Bills were bad, and they were also boring. Like After Bledsoe left, and even near the end of his career, the Bills were bad, but they usually had a good enough defense, but they were losing games like 17-16 to 16 or 13-10 to 10 with Dick Jerron being ultra-conservative, running the ball on third and eight halfback draws to stay in field goal range kind of stuff. And then Fitzpatrick and Gailey in that 2011 season 
just for whatever reason, they caught fire, especially early, and they were scoring 30 points a game, and it was the defense that wasn't holding up their end of the bargain, and it was just really nice, you know, if you're going to lose, at least score points and lose, like, that's entertaining, but there's nothing more lonely than just watching your team, like, fight, scratch, and claw just to get a first down, so those Fitz, Fitzpatrick-Gailey teams, even though they never really amount, amounted to anything meaningful as far as the standings went, they were a breath of fresh air from the excitement standpoint, so... I did say I was going to lean toward early picks, but this other one is another late in the season one. And I will tell you, Luca, even though the record wasn't overly impressive after this game, I was convinced the Bills were going to make the playoffs. Rex Ryan's first year. Oh, yeah. Thursday night football (laughs) against the Jets. And it's funny Uh. because you said the game you attended first as a Bills fan was the Jacksonville game on also on Thursday night football, if I remember correctly. It was either Thursday or Sunday. That was the I believe Yeah, I believe you're correct. In Jacksonville is a Thursday. That was the last time the Bills had run won a road primetime game up until the point that they go to New York on Thursday night football. Now, granted, Bills didn't get a lot of primetime games during that 17 year drought. It wasn't until Rex Ryan showed up that they started getting a little bit more because he and LaShawn McCoy were there. But anyway. The way this season had started off, the Bills started off great, dominated the Colts week one who were a playoff team. Then they played close with the Patriots week two, but it was kind of deflating. And then they went to Miami and smashed the Dolphins week three. And it was like, okay, I think we have a legitimate quarterback here in Tyrod Taylor. We are scoring points. The defense isn't doing great, but we have Rex freaking Ryan. He's going to figure it out on defense. Spoiler alert, he didn't. Um, and he had the same guys that dominated Aaron Rodgers the year before for Jim Schwartz's defense, but that's neither here nor there. Anyway, T- Taylor's doing good. He gets us to three and two with a big win in Tennessee, and then he injures himself. And we proceed to see EJ Manuel start a home game against Cleveland or Cincinnati, lose, and then go to London and another game that may end up making it into some draft at some point and play one of the worst starting quarterback games I've ever seen with the exception of Nathan Peterman in London and still find a way to almost beat the Jaguars only to have the defense give up a game winning touchdown to Blake Bortles on the end. And you're like, okay, fuck it. We have Rex Ryan. We finally have a good offense and now our quarterback gets hurt. It's just never going to be our year. I was, I was so down after that Jacksonville game. And then the bills crawled back and beat Miami. And it set up this Thursday night game against the jets where the bills went in at four and four and the jets were um, five and four going into that game. I'm sorry, the Jets were five and three because they both came out of that game with the same record. And it was just like, okay, well, we know what's going to happen here. Rex is a big mouth. He's been bashing the Jets. We're on the road in prime time. The Jets are going to go out there and beat us. And we're going to be the laughing stock because uh, 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 we're the Bills. And we thought Rex Ryan was a good idea. And now they have they have Todd Bowles and they're gonna, they, they have all the answers and we're a joke. And the Bills were great. And Tyrod Taylor played well. Carlos Williams, who looked like a star his first year, had a big, long touchdown run. Uh, Bakari Rambo had a big interception. There was a sequence at the end where the Bills were winning the entire game. And then they went to punt the ball out of their own end zone. And the punter just dropped the ball. I think it may have been Colton Schmidt at that point. I don't remember. And the Jets fell on it on like the five-yard line. And you're thinking, oh, my God, we've been dominating this game from start to finish. And now the Jets are going to go score a touchdown. And it was boom, 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 four plays in a row. The Jets just get off the field without a touchdown. And then the next drive, the Bills get a Bakari Rambo interception. I was so excited. 
I could not get enough post game the next day. I was looking for any conversation on ESPN about it. Mike Greenberg was on there saying, I'm so depressed. I love the Jets. And uh, I, just, I wish we had Tyrod Taylor. The Bills look like the better team. And Rex Ryan has a team. And they're going to make the playoffs. I was convinced they were making the playoffs. I said they survived their quarterback injury. They won this game on the road that they weren't supposed to win. I know they have to go to New England next week. They're going to lose on Monday night. That's fine. I expect that. But then they're going to just win out, make the playoffs. It didn't happen. But I was so excited after that game. Great pick. I honestly, I actually did not have that one on my list. I, I will say, and I am ashamed. I'm ashamed of myself for not having that one on there. It was a long drought, Luca. There's a lot of games in there. <laughs> <laughs> it's a fair point. But yeah, everything you said about that game is spot on. It just, it felt like one of those classic, you know, build up to disappointments. Um, if I remember correct, is that the color rush debut game? You are correct. I meant to yeah, so my, my only memory of that game is not being able to watch it. Um, being my colorblindness, I was one of those many to not be able to really differentiate anything going on the field. So I had, Ugh. I was watching that game in my living room with one of my good friends sitting next to me, telling me what was going on. Because if any, I mean, if it was open play, I could watch it. But if it was, you know, you had a run going through the, you know, coming into the A gap and then all of a sudden he cut out, I wouldn't see any of that. It was just all a blur. Oh, man. And yeah, not, not a good look for my people like myself, but great game nonetheless. Um, thought you summarized it perfectly. It, it was, I'm, I'm, as I said, I'm ashamed that I did not have that one written down. Well, I'm sure your next pick is good. There's a couple I wish I could have gotten to. I really did not anticipate getting the fifth screen game. So we'll see if, if the couple on my list are one of the ones you choose. Okay. So I'll go through a couple here that I would have liked to pick here, but I'm just come up short and I'm not going to go serious into them. But yeah, I had games like 2010 and Cincy, the why so serious game. Yeah. Just a classic. You got, it's funny you brought up that game because I did have 2015 week one against Indy. I know you gave that one a shout out. Mm-hmm. So I, I had that one written down. I had like, you know, the Bills Lions week five in 2014, but none of these are going to be my pick. None, none of those are going to be it. That was the, I, I don't the laser mean, in Dan Carpenter's eye. That's game. right. Yeah. And G, yeah, Schwartz getting carried off the field. Mm-hmm. That, that was that one. But uh, no, um, the one I'm going to go with goes back to 2008, week six. Oh, wow. Coming off the bye against the Chargers. It was so it's an interesting game, first and foremost, coming off the bye after getting pounded, uh, Trent Edwards literally, yeah. uh, by the Cardinals. Shout out. But, um, and I enjoyed that game just for the record in the basement of my friends with all of them. And that was a weird experience. It was my first experience watching the Cardinals game with friends. That were when they were playing the yeah. Bills. There was no one A one B controversy at that point, right? There was it was no. So 1A. yeah, just not to sidetrack too much. But whenever it's a Cardinals Bills game, the, I just root for the Cardinals at that point because everyone else has got the Bills, and I just someone's got to have the Cardinals back. Come on, yeah. But um, regardless, um, week six. You, okay, so you come off. Trent Edwards got rocked, you, you, but you're about to play the Chargers. Chargers are coming off of a season of which they lost in the AFC Championship to the Patriots in a competitive game. And was it Phillip Rivers that had a torn ACL? I believe Phillip Rivers had a torn ACL in the AFC Championship. So they were yes. a legitimate and team. Tomlinson was hurt too. And they, and they ran into those undefeated Patriots. That's right. And it is just like, they are a legitimate team. The only problem is you had that Patriots team that overcame. So here we are, week six. 
you're coming off that buy again, like I said, and we come out hot. We we come out looking good. Settle for a field goal. Then all of a sudden, Rivers goes down the field, and I think he throws it to good old Malcolm Floyd for a touchdown. And you're like, ah, we're gonna we're gonna start sliding into what becomes what we always become. I think Trent Edwards then hits Lee Evans in the corner of the end zone mm-hmm. after a nice long drive. And then this is where this game becomes a little more noteworthy because that's when the balloon then hit a transformer and knocked the feet out. And I'll never forget that because it was just panic, panic in the house. Yes. What the hell happened? Why can't I watch this game? And this is right before the time of which you could just pull it up on your phone, pull it up on a laptop, anything else. You couldn't do that. So you're freaking out. And then, of course, me being where I was, you know, I'm just in my parents' house. We're, we're asking the neighbors, blah, blah, blah. So the game's going on. It comes back. I think we get to see the end of halftime, I want to say. I can't even. It might have even been the third quarter at that point. And we're up at half anyways. I think then at that point, we started with the ball, go three or out, and then they go down the field and score to VJ. Which, by the way, that that team, man. Malcolm Floyd. So Vincent many Jackson, athletes. Oh, my God. So good. Merriman was there, I think, by then, too. Yes, I think you are correct. And it, it's it's like, again, it's the same thing as like the first quarter. You're just like, okay, all right, this is where it starts folding. But then we put, again, another good drive down. Lynch runs in for a touchdown. Lynch, you know, got to give him a shout out there. And then it just becomes an absolute shutdown of the Chargers in the fourth quarter. Mm-hmm. They could not do anything. We end up winning. I think we get another field goal in there. We win 23-14. And that hype that was felt a little bit after the first four weeks that then took a little step back after the Cardinals game, which at the time, you're like, shit, we just lost to the fucking Cardinals. You can't lose to the fucking Cardinals as a Bills fan. All right, that's that's not me as a Cardinals fan. That's (laughs) me as a Bills fan. You can't lose to the fuck. They obviously turned out to be a pretty dang good team that year. Yeah. Shout out. But I want to say um, I want to say Liner started the season and Warner had to play for injury and people were like, oh, Warner's starting. This isn't going to be good. And then he was gangbusters. No, no, that was 2007. Okay, 2000. So 2007, that happened. 2008, they came in. They're like, Warner's our starter. Okay, they already knew by everyone. And everyone's like, oh, so Liner sucks. (laughs) (laughs) So but yeah, so then when we beat the Chargers, though, going back to it, that was like, okay, we are five and one. Yeah. We are back on it. We're going to do great. Everyone knows the story from there. It just unfolds. Everything falls apart. The season just becomes a disaster. But at that moment in time, I believe that's a nice mid-October time, if I'm doing my math right. You are. I have the schedule pulled up right now. Yeah. You're feeling great. It's a beautiful fall in in Western New York. You, You are just loving life. And I think at that point, people still felt Trent Edwards was a guy going forward. I did. I 100% did. Because <laughs> when that, the way that game, that season started off is they won the first four games in a row. They smashed Seattle opening week. And that was just amazing because Seattle was actually pretty good at that point. I think they may have even been favored on the road against Buffalo. Um, and then they went to Jacksonville the next week and won a road game, which at that point in time, the Bills winning a road game was like a reason to throw a party. It's just amazing how far we've come. Then they had that amazing game against the Raiders that week three, that was a shootout. They dominated the Rams in um, St. Louis. I was at that game on my birthday 
And so they go to lose the Cardinals, the game you described, but you can say, okay, you know, that sucks. We're not going to go undefeated. I get it. But we lost our quarterback. Lossman came in. It's going to happen. Like, it, football gods weren't on our side. But that Chargers game was so important for the validation of, okay, is this going to be another Bills team that folds? Or are they legit? Because this Chargers team is tough and they dominated them. And it's like, oh my God, they're five and one. And they just beat one of the toughest teams on their schedule. And now we have three, three AFC East games in a row and Ugh. it all fell apart. But <laughs> I will never forget one of my first times being on Twitter. The next week, uh, Daryl Talley, I was following him on Twitter. And there, there was a point where Chris Kelsey had found himself in coverage because he was playing outside linebacker, I believe. And he was just screaming about Chris Kelsey trying to cover um, somebody on the dolphins. And he was just like going nuts about it. And I don't know, it made me laugh, but they got dominated in the next three division games and they lost that Monday night game in Cleveland. We don't need to go through it all. It was depressing. Um, <laughs> rough. Good picks by you though. I like that. I'll tell you that my runners up I had uh, without going into too much detail. Um, the Bills Bears opener, Fred Jackson stiff arm in overtime. Ooh, EJ good Manuel, one. good. Yeah, it felt like it was kind of a validation of EJ Manuel being good. Speaking of EJ Manuel, I didn't. This one didn't make the list, but I feel like a lot of people hold it in high regard. The comeback game against Carolina, where he threw the touchdown pass at the end. I think. Oh yeah. I think people like that one. Uh, the Bills Vikings in two thousand two that went to overtime where Bledsoe finds Price. And what's the last one I have on here? Oh, Bill's opening day against the Chiefs in Arrowhead, where Fitzpatrick and the Bills win like 41 to 10 against Ooh. Matt Castle and the Chiefs. Just out of nowhere, the Bills looked really good. That was the week one of the Fitz scream year where they ended up in week three being the Patriots that we talked about earlier. Yes. Oh, I actually totally forgot about that game as well, to be honest. Yeah, there's a lot of memory blocking here about the Bills. There, um, I think another game people will think about is that snow game against the Dolphins in 2002 where Ricky Williams ran for like 200 yards and it didn't matter. But, the, Luca, this was fun. This was our, our first podcast. I don't think they're all going to go this long, but um, it was fun. We had a lot of topics to get into. I mean, it's free agency. We had to talk about some old-time Bill stuff, but... Next time we get on the air, we're going to have some more moves to talk about. We're going to know where Chandler Jones is going. Is he a bill? Did they make a move for a big edge rusher? We'll, we should know where Deshaun Watson is. We'll be another week closer to the draft. Any final thoughts for you before we get out of here? No, I, I agree 100%. This was fun. I definitely don't think we'll uh, run time. Our runtime will normally be three hours. We just hit three hours on the dot here. Um, but um, yeah, I... I look forward to, you know, the next episode where we can talk about more moves. Hopefully Chandler Jones has signed somewhere. I think as we discussed earlier, that will be the case. And then where we can go from there and start diving into the draft. And then, you know, come time, next thing you know, we're going to be talking about minicamp and all that fun stuff. It'll be here before you know it. Time goes by really fast and we'll, we'll have the bill schedule out and we'll be getting ready for your opening day and goes fast, man, but I look forward to it next time we talk, seeing what new players are on the Bills. Do they have an impact edge rusher? But either way, whatever happens, we'll be here to talk about it on the next edition of Bills Chat, a pro football podcast. We'll talk to you next time.